while back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello everybody, it's Wednesday, June 4th, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Mr. Bob Ryer. Good evening. And on the line with Miss Stephanie Cook. Hi, hi, hi. All right, three-man band again. We've been we've been doing this rotating thing yeah. the last couple of weeks, um, but we have three people and we will march on. So this week, we figured since the last couple of weeks, I feel like we've been talking a lot about movies. A lot about other stuff. We wanted to focus um, talking about books, and we're going to do you know our normal lightning round, and then our books of the week. But we're also going to spend some time talking about our pull lists, talking about how we're f- like you know feeling about the books we're reading. Uh, Stephanie and I actually had a conversation a little bit earlier about, and we were going to talk about on the air about you know maybe a little bit of uh, malaise we're starting to feel towards buying books weekly. You know how, how it stacks up for us. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later as well. Um, but first, Stephanie, you went to a movie premiere last week. I, I, I was very exciting. I went to <laughs> see Edge of Tomorrow. I got you know invited to the red carpet premiere of it in Toronto. And um, I, I had really low expectations of the film. It looked fun, but it looked like um, Groundhog Day meets Gears of War or something. And that's <laughs> kind of essentially what it is in a nutshell. But um, again, I went in with really low expectations. And I didn't really know what this red carpet would be because I'd seen that Emily Blunt and Tom Cruise were doing like three premieres in one day. Uh, They were like in London, Paris and New York. So I didn't think that anyone big was going to be there. I thought maybe like Bill Paxton would show up or, um, you know, sort of one of the supporting characters or actors. And um, big. He's big. Come on. Yeah, but I mean, not compared to like Emily Blunt and Tom Cruise in the film. Very true. Very Um, true. And I mean, I would have been really pleased with that or Brendan Gleeson even, but I got to the theater and um, I was waiting in line and I was at the front of the line kind of killing time because a lot of people were waiting at the red carpet. Um, And I wound up in the line with these film like industry people and they were like, are you in the industry? And I'm like, kind of, not really. Um, And I'm like, what's up with all the security? And they're like, oh, there's a celebrity coming. And I'm like, oh, is it like Bill Paxton or something? They're like, no. And I was like, well, who would else would it be? Because Emily Blunt and Tom Cruise are elsewhere. And he's like, that's what private jets are for. Who's in the movie? And I'm like, well, I just said two people that are in the movie. Are they coming? He was like, who's the man, the star, the guy that's like, you know, in the film, I'm like Tom Cruise. And he's like, he like winks at me like it's like national security, like he's like <laughs> revealing CIA secrets to me, and I'm like, oh, but I was still really excited. And I had like my phone in my hand. The guy's like, you can't tweet that, and I'm like, oh, he's like, it's a secret still, and so like Tom Cruise was there, and I wasn't allowed to talk about it, 
Um, but yeah, he like got to the theater and was it was like a big surprise for everybody. And uh, he introduced the movie and was genuinely super, super, super nice. You know, for all his crazy, legitimately a nice <laughs> dude. And he took the time to like take photos with people and, you know, do autographs. And he was just really cool. And he took like a big theater selfie with us. It's on my Facebook. I circled me. <laughs> wow. Um, it was really cool. And the movie itself was, okay, just, it was amazing. I, I don't know how much you guys, if you're new listeners or whatever, but Pacific Rim, I love that movie. Like, I love it a lot. I know it has its faults. I don't care. I love it. I might love Edge of Tomorrow more than Pacific Rim. Get out of here. No way. Really, Bob? I'm For shocked. Real. I'm shocked. It was so much fun. I wasn't expecting it to be fun. I was expecting it to be silly and have plot holes. But, you know, it's based on um, the manga and book, All You Need Is Kill. And the script was really, really tight. You know, as I was watching the movie, there weren't any noticeable plot holes where I was kind of just like, uh, yeah, okay. And, you know, you put it out of your mind because you're mm-hmm. just, you know you're watching a sci-fi movie and that stuff happens. There was none of that. I felt so in the movie for the entire thing. And it's not just like, you know, big and epic and full of really cool action scenes, but it's funny, too. Like, there are moments when, you know, the whole theater was laughing and laughing and laughing and... Bill Paxton's great, and Tom Cruise is great. Emily Blunt is fucking badass. Seriously, (laughs) guys and girls, I don't care if you're straight, gay, bi, whatever. If you don't leave the theater with a crush on her after this, you're doing the movie wrong. She's so (laughs) awesome. She fights with, like, a helicopter blade. I thought it was a gun blade at first, like, you know, from Final Fantasy and stuff. But um, it's just fantastic. And the whole movie just... I was on the edge of my seat. The 3D's crazy. I, I, that's my only kind of, um, you know, nitpick about it. Like, I don't like 3D where things are flying at you. Like, I don't like that feeling where you're like, ah, yeah, yeah, shrapnel. <laughs> and they had a lot of that, like the explosions and a lot of stuff's flying in your face. Hmm. Um, and that's like, but I mean, it's still really cool if you're not as chumpy as I am. <laughs> um, but that's my only personal nitpick about the film, which is probably not a nitpick to, you know, people who are not me or if you don't see it in 3d exactly yeah (laughs) but it's beautiful the graphics are fantastic and the whole thing is seriously worth seeing in theaters you you can wait until it's out on dvd or blu-ray or however you get your movies but you will enjoy this movie ten thousand times more seeing it in theaters so edge of tomorrow it's out on friday awesome yeah i've been excited about it and uh Doug Lyman is the director, and I like him. I mean, Born Identity is an, is an mm. awesome movie. He he's up and down. Obviously, he has some issues. He's had always had issues with delivering movies in a timely mm. manner. Um, but I, I think he's a cool action director. And uh, Christopher McQuarrie did the at least part of the writing on it. Who is the usual suspects mm-hmm. writer? Um, and then two guys, Jez Butterworth and John Henry Butterworth. Yeah. Um, wow. Um. Tr- Jez Butterworth is an interesting name. I have yeah. to say. Uh-huh. My friend, uh, <laughs> he saw it yesterday uh, on Monday. And he pointed out to me that, in his review as well, that, um, you know, people are like, oh, it's like Groundhog Day. I already said that already. But, you know, in Edge of Tomorrow and in Groundhog Day, the lead female is named Rita. Oh, look at that. Huh? Huh? (laughs) So, that's a thing. Yeah. Uh, I read somebody when 
because when Tom Cruise was at the Chicago premiere of the movie, I guess, <laughs> someone who was there was like, I think Tom Cruise is running for the mayor of movies the way that he's <laughs> introducing Edge of Tomorrow right now. He, he honestly, like, I was like, you know how um, some celebrities, you can tell that everything they're saying is just PR mumbo jumbo that they've been told to say. Mm-hmm. And like, they're either excited about the film or they're not. But Tom Cruise, like, I got excited for the film because he was genuinely excited for it you Mm -hmm. know he was genuinely proud of it and was talking about moments when he was just like i love doing this and it just made me so excited to see the movie and i'm like as the as he left the stage i'm like please be good please be good please be good (laughs) and it just it was awesome awesome cool so edge of tomorrow like i said it's related to the show as well because it is based off there's both a graphic novel and a manga um adaptation of it yeah and but it was uh Originally a novel. Um, I f- one of our listeners, is it Diana Harris? Diara. Diara, sorry. She pointed out that it was based on a book first. and then Yeah, it's based on a book yeah, first. And yeah, and then it was adapted. Yeah. Um, Mara talked a lot about it on this week's uh, Comics and Coffee show. She also has the Manga Mondays up from last week um, of it. But we talked a lot about it on Comics and Coffee, and she was saying how uh, the book is fantastic and the ma- manga has been great, which the manga is not out here yet. It's not collected here mm. yet. Um, but that the um, the graphic novel adaptation is not uh, the best way to read it. So I'm, there's just some inside, hmm, inside scoops. I'm really, really, really curious to check out the book. Like, I want to go check it out. Well, I just said that. Good Lord. I'm going to say check it out about 15 more times. But yeah, I'm okay, going to... Sure. I'm going to read it. I'm going to go find it and see how it compares. Like, I, I hope the movie and the book are good, you know, it's a good adaptation. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if reading the book will make me love the movie less, but it made me curious enough that I want to at least, you know, see the source material and how mm-hmm. it kind of compares. Yeah. I think on some very visual things, it helps you mm-hmm. seeing the movie first because then you have ideas in your head granted it's somebody else's ideas mm-hmm. but it sometimes cements what's going on if it's not written as clearly as it should be mm-hmm. i gotta tell you though i like the original title a lot better all you need is kill it's just so much more clever edge of tomorrow sounds like a soap opera yeah i yeah i get that too um i don't know i, I think the the title kind of becomes irrelevant you kind of understand where they're coming from with changing the title to edge of tomorrow it's a lot catchier than all you need is kill like all you need is kill sounds a bit like a james bond movie okay yes um so i understand from like a marketing perspective why they felt the need to kind of change it to something that kind of that rolls off the tongue a bit more and kind of fits with the profile of the movie a -hmm. bit better yeah i mean all you need is kill i think it's a it's a i think it's a more interesting title but i think it to me when i hear that title it seems to me like it's going to be a very um, pulpy, silly yeah. action movie it to me. Yeah, noirish. Okay. Yeah, no, no, even but like you know what was that movie that came out with Clive Owen and uh, like Monica Bellucci? Shoot him up. Shoot him up. That's what that's immediately yeah. what I thought of when I when I heard right. all you need is kill. I thought oh, it to be crazy violence over the top, you know, stuff like that. That's the, that's what I thought of when I heard that uh, title. So I think Edge of Tomorrow is a very boring title, but I think that at least it doesn't confuse anybody mm-hmm. about what kind of movie it is. I agree, and actually, like all you need is kill really does give. I, I don't know if the title fits better into the book, but it doesn't suit this movie at all. Mm-hmm. And somebody, a friend of mine asked me online, and I just want to add this too. Um, she wanted to take her son to the movie, and I think he's 10. And she was asking if it was like violent or bloody. And despite the fact that it's a war and, you know, they're fighting a long time, she was like, is there lots of gore? Is there lots of swearing? And I'm like, 
I thought about it, and there really isn't. Like, they managed to do this incredible action movie, you know, and all these crazy sequences of them fighting. And there's really, like, I can't recall, you know, aside from, like, some blood that's, like, on someone's head from, like, a cut and stuff. I don't recall actually seeing any gore. It's not gratuitous. And it's not, you know, in-your-face violent. The scenes happen, but they're not focusing on, you know, that sort of gory choreography to go along with it. It's just showcasing what these characters are capable of. It's not really, you know, doing it for the sake of being like, blood in your face, 3D glasses, ah, blood spraying into the audience, this is a guar concert. Like, (laughs) it's so awesome. And honestly, I mean, it's not obviously an all-ages movie, but if your kids grew up on action movies and sci-fi, it is something that you can take young people too up to an to an extent mm-hmm. pg-13 i would think so i think yeah. it is yeah i think I can't the usual the usual caveat sci-fi yeah. fantasy violence but, which yeah. it sounds like that's exactly what it is which is yeah. good yeah totally it <laughs> shouldn't be a problem it's so much fun i can't speak highly enough of this movie i know for a fact that it's going to be a day one blu-ray purchase for me already awesome yeah so uh, pg-13 absolutely right Yes, um, this is not Starship Troopers. And it's less than two hours, which is amazing. <gasps> yeah, it's like five <laughs> minutes under the two-hour mark. Yeah, but still, that's still amazing. <laughs> the fact that Days of Future Past was only like two hours and eight minutes was amazing yeah. to me in, in the, uh, the length of action movies that come out today. So that's awesome. Um, is there a post-credit sequence? <laughs> no. Speaking of, uh, speaking of movies, um, just before we started recording uh, the podcast today, it appears that Marvel has found its director for Doctor Strange. Um, Scott Derrickson, who directed The Exorcism of Emily Rose and um, Sinister and is directing the upcoming Deliver Us from Evil, uh, is set to direct Doctor Strange. We don't know when it's coming out. We don't know who's in it. We don't know who's writing it. But we know who the director is going to be. Um, Bob, I don't know if you're familiar with any of his movies, but what do you think of Scott Derrickson directing it and more broadly, a horror director taking on Doctor Strange? I saw Exorcism of Emily Rose on television and even cut into commercials. It was very entertaining. The ending got a little spacey. You know, they they went for it and Mm. it didn't work entirely, but lots of atmosphere, but lots of character development. Good shot maker. Doctor Strange is by nature a cult horror. (laughs) Horror director... Based on what Marvel's done so far, pick World War II-era directors for World War II pictures and uh, the rest of it, you know, Game of Thrones and Kenneth mm-hmm. Branagh, I think this is a home run. Uh, Stephanie, what about you? I, I think it's going to be rad. I <laughs> hope that, you know, the casting rumor that was, you know, kind of thrown out there a couple weeks ago winds up being true to go along with this. Which, but, which one? Which we talk one? about? Uh, yeah. I can't re- recall how oh, you say Odeth his name. Ferrer. Yeah. Oh. That yeah. guy from The Mummy. Yeah. Um, so if that was also true, I would be in line to see this movie on day one. <laughs> There's uh, another, I mean, this is just a rumor. i only seen it reported one place that they've been talking to Jared Leto, apparently. Hmm. Um, no. I, I, I don't know if it's about this or not, but they, but it lines up. Um, I think I like him. You do like Jared Leto? Yeah, I yeah. shouted no, but I really mean yes. Yeah, he's a good mm-hmm. actor. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I really like Sinister a lot. I think it's a good atmospheric horror movie. Um, I think that Exorcism Emily Rose is a really interesting movie as well. I, I think that was his first film, so it's a very wow. good first yeah. film. 
Um, I heard an interview with him a couple of years back when Sinter was coming out that I, that really that really um, got me interested in, in him as a director and his thoughts about horror and his thoughts about you know research and, and his ideas behind filmmaking. I think are really really cool. I think that he has a good eye and I think that like you were saying, Bob, I think bringing a horror director into the fold for this shows you that. They're going for that more bizarre, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of unnerving side of the character. So I, I think that's very, very promising. Um, I think he's a good director, and I think he's perfect for the the, the sort of directors that Marvel picks for their movies. And um, you know, we haven't obviously we haven't really talked about the Edgar Wright thing, at, you know, at all. I, mean, I was hoping that by now there would be a director picked. And there very much almost was, so we could have a kind of a full circle conversation about that to see where they were going. You know, at this moment, we don't really know what's going to happen with that movie. They had, they talked to Adam McKay, the guy who directed Anchorman, um, and he apparently turned them down um, a, a, over the weekend. So I, I don't know what they're going to be doing, but I, you know, the other thing brought up a lot of talk about how you know Marvel hires directors who. Uh, aren't a tours really to do their mm-hmm. stuff, right? They they want people who are willing to go on their vision. And uh, there was a very good article by Drew McLeany on HitFix about how um, this is a crucial turning point for Marvel Studios in, in kind of their narrative with the public because up until now they've done they've they've been the studio that can do nothing wrong, and now they've done their first thing supposedly wrong, and so see what's going to happen with, with. And I think this this announcement I think is obviously trying to change the news cycle yes. over a little bit. Cause I think they probably would have waited on this a little bit longer if, 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 if that Edgar Wright stuff hadn't happened, I feel. And, but he said in this article, Jim McQueenie, that he feels bad. He thinks it's, it's wrong for be able to say that they choose directors with no vision because that's a huge slight against the people who have made movies yeah. for them in, in the past. And, you know, um, uh, and so I, I, I would tend to agree with him that I think saying they have no vision is, a, is definitely the wrong thing to say, but they have a vision that is malleable to what Marvel is, is mm-hmm. looking for. And I think that Derrickson is probably a great guy for that. He's proven he can work in the studio system, albeit not successfully yet with, uh, the day the earth would still remake. Um, so I, I wonder how, how, when he gets the big toys, what he does with the character. Well, I think Dave the Earth still was just so much of a star property. Yeah. And the studio wanted, well, we're making this with this actor and here's what you do. Mm-hmm. And he went from little movies to $180 million budget mm-hmm. and ruined a classic. Well, right. no, he didn't. No, the original classic is still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He made a terrible remake. Yeah. The directors they've chosen have strengths in the areas they're trying to highlight. Mm-hmm. And they've chosen directors outside of the two guys from Community who managed right. to do Winter Soldier. Yeah, I, yeah. I, that blows my mind still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they found directors who will adapt enough of what they do into what the larger picture needs to be. I wanted to see an Edgar Wright Ant-Man so bad I could taste it. Mm-hmm. But if well, how many years in development are we? Eight? Yeah. And if it's not coming together that they can't, they already have lost Hank Pym as Ultron's dad. Mm-hmm. We, we we may have moved past and maybe they'll work together on something else in the future. He'll do the Howard the Duck movie or something, <laughs> and which could be awesome. But, you know, let's wait and see who they pick before we all go insane yeah. on this did just you, yet. Did you see the uh, picture that Joss Whedon posted, like when he found out that Edgar Wright wasn't going to be on uh, Ant-Man anymore and he held up no. like the Cornetto? Yeah, he was just a picture of him looking away, holding a cornetto up, Aww. like sad cornetto. <laughs> um, it was a great, it was a great picture, and it was funny because James Gunn talked about it a little bit, and he he basically compared Edgar Wright and Marvel to two friends that you love very much individually, mm-hmm. who when they date, they're just horrible match for for one another. Oh, that's lovely. Um, and I, I, you know, I don't know what happened with them. I think I think there's some version of what Latino Review uh, reported is probably true. Who knows exactly what it is? Um, you know that the fact that 
the Marvel rewrote the script when they came back it was nothing like Edgar Wright wanted to do so he walked off the project I believe it was definitely something in, yeah. in, in that in that vein I can't imagine it's not um, the, the only reason I'm not looking the same thing as you were saying I'm so excited about seeing Edgar Wright do Ant-Man but I'm just as excited to see Edgar Wright do whatever the hell he's going to do next yes. that's his own thing you know and, and if we weren't going to get pure Edgar Wright in Ant-Man, if that wasn't possible, if Marvel wasn't going to let that kind of happen, then I would rather him do something that's pure Edgar Wright on his own mm. than see distilled, you know, kind of watered down yeah. Edgar Wright in, in an Ant-Man movie. Uh, I don't want that to happen. So, you know, I, I, like I was saying, I said this on Twitter, I love Edgar Wright movies. I love them more than Marvel movies, in, <laughs> just, wow. generally. Uh, so it makes me sad, but I... I still believe in what they do because they haven't they haven't proven me proven us wrong yet. Or they haven't proven themselves wrong yet. Um, so I want to see what happens. And plus, they're coming off what I think is probably their best movie. So I refuse to get caught up in this um, narrative of that they're going downhill before we haven't even seen the next movie that we're all super excited about. Yes, you know. Uh, hey, is James Gunn? free they mentioned that and really? I, yeah they, there was a rumor but he basically had to go right from doing guardians uh-huh. into doing ant-man and they don't think that he's interested in, in doing that um hey what about the josh brolin news oh yeah we i forgot about that we didn't talk about that yeah. that happened over the weekend um um for seven do you want to ring any more about sorry you didn't get a chance to mention about ant-man edgar wright stuff i don't I know think that... you guys covered most of it so okay no worries what do you think about uh josh brolin as thanos i don't have any problems with it whatsoever. I think it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, we talk a lot about people. I, I don't know if he's somebody I would have predicted as Thanos, but we talk a lot about, you know, casting actors who can hold their weight in Hollywood. And Josh Brolin is definitely one of those actors. Yeah. So yeah. I have, you know, no qualms whatsoever that he's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Bob? Yeah, oh, that that voice. Mm. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> if you're hearing it in, his, in your head already, it's <laughs> with courting death in that voice, gravelly voice. It'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, again, like you're saying, Stephanie, it was never somebody I would have thought of or, or picked out in a million years. If you'd give me a, a, a million shots at naming an yeah. actor who was going to voice Thanos, I never would have said Josh Brolin. But Josh Brolin is a great actor and... I, I would love to see what he does with it. You know, they've the the voice cast they've kind of got lined up for these, you know, not um like not featured characters. You know, you know, live action characters. They they could fill it if they were in their own movie together. They would be in a pretty yeah. big movie. You know, so you have Vin Diesel and you have Bradley Cooper and you have Josh Brolin. And you have uh, James Spader all voicing yeah. these characters. Paul Bettany, who was uh, you know, Wait, Vision. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa! We mean that Bradley Cooper's not in a raccoon suit. Yeah, no, he's not. Yeah, they, they cut his legs off yeah. and put him in a raccoon suit. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it, it's it's a pretty crazy thing, you know, the voice cast that, that's lined up there, and I I, I want to see what someone like Josh Brolin does with, with that character. I just love that it's it, you know, the funny thing is, like ten years ago, this would have been like the biggest news in the world oh. that someone who who had just been who does these really high profile movies is now doing these comic book stuff, but now it's just another another tick on the box, you know. Where, where do you go after? Robert Redford. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. If uh, Paul Newman were alive, would he be doing one yeah, of these? Peter O'Toole. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But that's some cool movie news. But that's the last stuff we're going to say anything about any movies for the rest Aww. of the day as far as, as these comic book stuff goes. Let's go into our books of the week. Let's do our, our lightning round. Stephanie, I want you to start the lightning round. Oh, Okay. Are you? Are you? Do you want somebody else to go first? Well, I'm going to ask you quickly. Are you going to talk about that book that we talked about, or? Um. Well, let's save. The, well, how many books do you have for your books of the week? Only like really like one. 
So why don't we add that one to the books of the week? Because I do want to talk about it a little bit. Okay. I think it deserves Later. to be talked about a little bit. Okay. So let's save it for that. Okay. Okay. Deal. All right. So mm-hmm. now are you ready? Uh, yes. Okay. And lightning round, go. All right. So we'll get to kind of why I'm only reading a few things right now later on. But one of the things I did read was the Chew Revival one-shot. So John Lehman and Rob Guillory from the Chew team and uh, Tim Seeley and Mike Norton from the Revival team do a half-and-half book. The first half is uh, Chew, the characters from Chew coming to, um, you know, the revival world and trying to solve a case that took place in their world and has led them into, you know, uh, the town with Dana Cypress and everything else that's going on there with revivers. Um, <clears throat> for those of you who don't know what shoe is, basically it's about, um, an, a, an FDA officer who, uh, he solves crimes by eating people or things and stuff because every time he eats something he can get whatever he's eating the history of its life so he finds out how people were murdered or how things got from point a to point b um and as such a severed hand winds up in the town where revival takes place and they're trying to figure out what's going on um it's a really fun story. It's really neat to see the characters from Revival. You know, Mike Norton has a really great style, and it's interesting to see those characters that I've come to love over the course of something like 18 issues in Rob Guillory's style, which is obviously a lot more cartoony. Um, I think that's the part that I really liked the most about it. It wasn't even necessarily um, the story itself. It was just kind of watching the characters uh, from one world interact with the next. It was really cool, and there's lots of fun parts to it and just kind of general silliness that you've come to expect from Chew, if anyone is familiar with that. If you're not familiar with it, you should be. The second half is Chew and Revival again, but with Mike Norton's art, so you get to see a little bit mm. of um, the characters from Chew in Mike Norton's style. And there's some really great you know, uh, tributes to or homages to other image books. Like um, There's... I can't remember what his name, Poco from Chew the Chicken. He's in it and he's fighting Lion Cat. (laughs) And it's a comic that uh, Cooper, Dana's son, has drawn. And then, you know, Cooper's talking about comics and he mentions a guy who has Sherlock Holmes and Dracula in his brain and a girl whose dad is the Grim Reaper. And there's all these fun little, you know, shout outs to other characters uh, other worlds too and you know dana after he's talking about these mashups in comic books she's like um what does she say here she's like your time oh, is no! up well i won't tell you what she said then <laughs> oh you must tell me what she said <laughs> well I'll, I'll if it's okay i'll say what they said and then yeah, go ahead okay after the after the team up with flying cat and the chicken from Chew, she says, wait a second, Cooper, you've got a cyber cybernetic rooster meeting a lie detecting alien cat. How's that crossover supposed to work? And then he says, it's fun and it's cool. So that's all that matters. It's what comics are for. Duh. 
Oh, well, we, we need to get him in charge of some companies. Now, as <laughs> yeah. someone who doesn't read either book, I mean, I've read some revival. I read The First Trade mm-hmm. and read No Chew. Could I pick this up and get enjoyment out of it as just a fun comic book? I think so. Okay. Um, you know, there's a couple things that got spoiled for me because I'm not completely up to date on Chew, but not enough that kind of ruined it for you. Like, if you haven't read Chew, it wouldn't rock your world and be like, oh, you know, I can't <laughs> read this book now because this thing happened. They they talk about it, but it's not something that will necessarily take away. Okay. It um, just sounds like so much fun. I want to pick this up. Yeah, it's interesting. And, I mean, they give you a breakdown of what kind of goes on in uh, Chew, and they give you a breakdown of what happens in Revival as well, so you can kind of just pick oh. it up and go with it. Um, and it doesn't spoil, you know, much of what has happened previously as well. Just like a couple of things, but again, nothing that really ruins the fun for you. Mm. Okay. Awesome. So this is Chew Revival. It's a one shot, right? Yep. Yeah. It was cool the way it was laid out because it had like the one side was the Chew side and one side was the Revival side. Oh. You had to flip it to to get through. Um, the Lion Cat thing is funny because they've been doing it in like a, there's been, I think the last three weeks, there's been books that have Lion Cat references in them. Wow. Cause there's one in, um, Daredevil, this past Daredevil one. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, somebody said something and somebody goes, lying. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a great moment. And they didn't, I did the book too that I was reading. I don't remember what it was. Um, I can't remember what book it was that I was reading, but they did it in another Saga book. Saga takes over the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. So cool. Awesome. All right, so I will do my lightning round next, and then we'll Bob close out the Good lightning up. rounds. All right, my lightning round is going to be kind of um, two books this week. So lightning round, go. Um, so I read a lot of stuff this week, and we're going to talk a lot about that in the, the second half of the show. We're kind of going through our polls. I was catching up on stuff. Um, one person I read a lot of this week was Scott Snyder because I had a lot of stuff to catch up on. But I just want to touch quickly on Batman Zero Year, uh, number 31, which is the final act um, where – Commissioner Gordon, Lucius Fox, and Batman are kind of coming together to take on the Riddler. And there is some crazy-ass stuff that happens in this issue. Batman fights lions. Um, (laughs) There's just some really bizarre stuff that happens. Uh, It's a very strong issue. Uh, I will say that it is not my favorite issue. It's just because it spent less time kind of dealing with... um, you know, character stuff and more time just, you know, we're, we're on the, we're on the go. We're, we're going, 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 going on this plot stuff, which was all really good, but I just love the character stuff so much that I missed it um, mm. in, in this issue. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about really quickly is uh cowl and uh, number one, which is from Kyle Higgins and Alex Siegel with art by Rod Rice. So cowl, it stands for Chicago organized workers league. And basically what it is, is a, a kind of union of superheroes that operate in Chicago. And it comes to a point where they've, they have a hierarchy, they're a government organization, so they have corruption and they have problems. And they've gotten to the point where they've taken out every single last member of um, this group of like, they're kind of sinister six that they've been trying to take out. The last person gets caught. And they, you know, th- there there is kind of a warped public perception of them. They're, they're, they haven't been the, the easiest going or the best group. So at this point, th- they have now become... Um, the end of the issue is kind of about like, well, do we need them anymore? So this is the story. It kind of, it's almost like a precursor to like what happens in Watchmen or, or something like that, you know, that okay. type of feeling to it. Uh, it was a cool story, but, and the art is very, very nice uh, as well. Rod, Rod Rice art is, is really, really cool and mo- really, really moody, but there are a lot of characters and because the art is so moody and so at sometimes esoteric about what it's representing, 
I had a really hard time identifying with any of the characters mm-hmm. throughout the book because I just couldn't keep it straight in my head, you know, who was who. And maybe over multiple readings, that changes. But over when the, in the first reading, I had, a, I had a real problem with trying to track everything that was going on. Um, there was also a short film. The, Kyle Higgins wrote this when he was in college and did a kind of a student film of it. So I wonder if I watch that student film, if I'll be more ingrained in what's sure. going on not that you should have to do that but i know that exists out there i think it has promise and i think it's a cool idea um i just think as a first issue it, it seems to assume too much and throw you in too quickly so that i don't know who any of these characters are i don't i can't really follow who i'm supposed to be caring about are these people good are these people bad you know sometimes the bad guys kind of look like the good guys and it just it becomes a little bit rough uh t- to follow along so I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend Cal number one, but it's an interesting idea. Seven, you were saying. I agree. Um, it it suffers from first first issue itis, mm-hmm. like it's too much, and the art actually is very Phil Noto ish, minus Phil Noto's ability to really visually tell a story. Mm. Um, like it's beautiful, and I don't know. I forget what the females Radia. I don't even remember the name. So I think like, there's like the female character named. Yeah. Like, Radia. Yes. And she's just basically lady. Like she's like image Sue storm. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I don't know. I agree. It's, it had potential, but I think it's one of those books that could read better as a trade. Yeah. I think, I think yeah. you're right. Now you Bobby have been basically off the deconstructed hero sort of thing. So that you're even hedging means it was, not bad. No, it's, it's just there are issues with the issue. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely bad. And it's not as much, it, it it doesn't feel as much kind of that rote, very by the numbers, very, we everybody read Alan Moore, so now we all want to do this thing, okay. kind of read. It doesn't read like that to me. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I, the the Deconstruct Hero thing just doesn't do it for me. Like I, I, I read... Um, MPH, which is the new Mark Miller book, Millar book, and it it was good, but it was exactly that. It was like superheroes, but they're not really super, you know, they're yeah. kind of mean, like that kind of thing. And I get that. And I, yeah. I, there's inter- there's definitely entertainment value in that story, and that story's been written very well a few times by Mr. Millar himself has written very good versions of that story. But it just, I'm just like I don't care. Like I don't want to read this anymore. Yeah. This at least has a mood to it and a, and, a, and, a, and a world that feels interesting. But like Stephanie was saying, the art does not help the, the confusion of the, the writing either. Because the writing, a lot of characters, but if you have art that is easy to discern and really helps you visually through those characters, really identifies them very, very well, you can get over that. This has both problems, like the art and the writing. It just... It just assumes that you're going to get it too quickly, yeah. you know. See, um, a great version of that was was last year, Masks, mm-hmm. which was Chris Roberson, who wrote just a great story of all those pulp radio characters. And your first issue was Alex Ross. Right. And it was Dennis Calero after that. Very clear-cut, but moody, mm. noirish kind of art. But he also introduced this eight-character team-up over three issues. You, right. Here's the Shadow and the Green Hornet and Kato. That guy over here could be somebody, but we won't find out for an issue or so. Mm. Let me live with some of these people who are throwing me in the deep end of the pool. Yeah. It, it feels to me very much like this would be the opening of a pilot of a, of a television show, but the difference in a television show is you have actual people on screen, yeah. 
And you know, you can form connections with people a lot easier when it's a physical person you're looking at. And here it just you don't have that you don't have that benefit. Um, so I I hope and like something saying I think but honestly I think that I, I don't think I'm gonna pick up issue two. I think it's gonna be a, a, like a, I'll trade weight for it because I it it didn't hook me really strongly in this one. And we're gonna talk about this later. If you don't hook me very strongly on issue one. I just I can't go back for issue two. There's just too much to read. Yeah, uh, uh, and you can in between see the reviews for the next four yeah. issues. Look at them in the store. Or yeah. Get an idea. Oh, is this going where I want it to go? Yeah. No. Exactly. I have one. Exactly. One's enough. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Bob. Time for your lightning round. Okay. <clears throat> and go. Okay, we're going to start with Ms. Marvel number four, which is just another perfect issue by G. Willow Wilson, Adrian Alfona. We pick up from the shooting from issue three, and now loads of great character stuff here with Bruno and Kamala, and she, you know she has to have nine one one called. She's been shot, <laughs> and they you know police need it for Ms. Marvel. Then there's my favorite Avengers book of all, Mighty Avengers number ten, Al Ewing, Greg Land back on this one. This uh, is an original Sin tie-in, so it's uh, Adam Brashear, the Blue Marvel, goes to the moon because he's apparently been friends with the Watcher, so goes and meets Mrs. Watcher, Ulana, <laughs> and he's going to be the godfather to the little baby Watcher. <laughs> now, the thing is, this issue is not what they said it was going to be, but what this is is a whole lot of fun. It's really great, and any issue that is going to have blade fighting were roosters is worth <laughs> buying. Just right away. But what this was supposed to be was a 70s story of Luke Cage's father and Blade in the 70s, and they had a whole disco cover, and that didn't come out. So that's a snafu, but this story is really good. Speaking of snafus, there's Guardians of the Galaxy number 15, and now Captain Marvel, except she's not in it, not even one panel. <laughs> Brian Bendis has apologized profusely. Mm-hmm. It's, an, it's an old thing in comics. It happens. It used to happen a lot, but I mean, there's apparently two issues in a row with no cap. Oh, wow. Well. Uh, speaking of issues that are just bad, there's Fantastic Four number five, which is grim, awful. Uh, I, I buy this book for adventure and lightheartedness. That's my tonic. That's my chaser after the heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. Not happening. I, I mean, look, we're, we're taking Sue's kids away, which they already did. J. Michael Straczynski did that. They sent him to Child Protective Services. Skip it. This book is awful, except for the great art in this. We've got a, a Mike Allred nice pinup of uh, Silver Surfer and Galactus. And what's sad is all the stuff that should be in Fantastic Four is in James Robinson's Invaders. Hmm. This is a great book filled with camaraderie and friendship. You get a great cap moment with Namor and, and the Human Torch and a killer epilogue on top of it. This, this Something happens in this book at the end of this book that's going to change the Marvel Universe <laughs> forever. And I'm actually serious. This It's part of the storyline here. The gods whisper the device that can control gods. Mm-hmm. Some of the gods who are controlled aren't so happy they have it. <laughs> They've got a plan. <laughs> and it's just really cool. So invaders, you should get, be picking that up. Do not pick up Fantastic Four. End of story. Oh, the Fantastic Four issue where they take away the kids, it's 535. <laughs> um, the Fantastic Four thing, that, that all red page is beautiful and the Samney yes. pages are really nice too. Yeah, this is a pinup book, poster book. Yeah. There's some great art going through all the FF's history. Mm-hmm. And there's some great She-Hulk moments, though uh, not enough of them. The, the, the family all broken up, seen it, been there, done that, grim, awful, and we're going into original sin next, mm. which is going to be interesting. To I, say the least. I feel bad for the people who picked up Guardians of the Galaxy expecting Captain Marvel <laughs> yeah. to be in it. I mean, I pick it up anyway. I really like that book, so I don't. it doesn't matter to me. Yeah, but I um, kept looking. Yeah. I, maybe in the background she's somewhere. But it's just very strange to me that they would... Uh, I don't know. It's weird. She was also on the cover of the free comic book day, Guardians. Oh, really? 
I didn't. I didn't know that. And that was just a reprint of, of the story. Yeah. It's a great cover. I mean, yeah. I made frame and put on the wall with you know, my Joe Canonis print or whatever. <laughs> but in the, in the interim, it's sort of oh, I have to wait for next issue. She. Uh, I mean, I know that she was. They were in her book for a couple for an issue there. Yeah. Um, so that's why I just figured she would be in the book. But that's me too. Strange. Very strange. Very very strange that she's not there. Is that a Quinones cover? This cover? is. Uh, let's take a look. I don't think so. It is a cover by Angela, created by uh, Nick Bradshaw and Justin Ponzi. Uh, okay. All right. Cool. All right. So those are our lightning round books. Stephanie, let's talk about your books of the week. Okay. Um. So I guess I'm going to start with um, Electra. Ah, okay. That wasn't, I don't think, I'm really bad at emails this week. I really hope that no one had this on their list. No, 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 it's okay. No, no, I didn't. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so electric number two, um, we obviously talked about the first issue, um, you know, when when it came out, uh, and we all loved it, I believe. Had Mm -hmm. you guys read it? No, Steve, it was Steve's book. Um, Yeah. Hmm? The second issue is just as good. Like, it's it continues to be beautiful. The story is great. You know, not much more happens. You know, it's kind of, it's obviously an arc. So it's an extension of kind of what happened in the first issue. And the first issue really builds up what you're to expect for the remainder of the arc. I imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the, uh, the writer is W Hayden Blackman again, for anyone who doesn't know that. And uh, artist is Michael Del Mundo with, uh, and he does the colors with Marco Delfonso. Um, and oh my god, the art! Yeah, the book is yeah. gorgeous. The I, book is unbelievably lo- unbelievable even, looking. Even if the writing sucked on this book, <laughs> I would buy this just to stare at it. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. Like I can't even believe that these are interiors, you know, and that they're releasing this monthly. Yeah, it it looks so fantastic, and it's just. I think, you know, even more so than the uh, the drawing itself, the colors just make this book pop and they give it such an incredible life, the tones and it, it's just beautiful. I loved the characters that showed up in this book, especially like uh, Lady Bullseye makes an appearance mm-hmm. uh, and there's, there's a twist that happens, you know, they're looking for um, Cape Crow and that hunt takes a twist and that's kind of, you know... Uh, where things get left off at the end of this book and leading into issue number three. But I'm hooked. I love this series so much already. I don't know if it'll continue to be good, but I suspect it will. The yeah. First, sorry, Stephanie, go ahead. No, sorry, I thought you were done. Issues, oh, yeah, no. The first two issues are just as close as it comes to perfect issues. They're beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree with you. I... This was definitely a series that I was just like, oh, it's a number one, so I'll pick it up and I'll read it. I'm sure that it will be okay, but I'm not going to love it. And I have loved the first two issues uh, of the series. Like you said, the art is gorgeous and the story is really, really cool. And then the villain that they, they've created is so creepy. So, so creepy. Speaking of like, it, you're talking about Chew, it's like the same thing. Like it eats, it eats its victims well, and like takes yeah. on like their memories and their skills. It's like that native, I think the native Americans used to believe, or s- there was like a culture that believed that when you ate um, like a person or an animal, you inhabited, you took on that person's like qualities and memories and all that stuff. And obviously that's not really a thing, but this character has the superpower that if he does that, 
he does actually take on their memories and their abilities. And as such, he has like bullseyes, powers and memories. Mm. And it's creepy as shit. It really, really is. Yeah. Um, and I love the Electra. The fight scene was awesome. She was badass in that, in that fight scene. Yeah. When, um, fighting lady bullseye and the other gentleman whose name I cannot remember at this point. Yeah. It was just, uh, it was, um, Oh, where did scalp hunter, scalp hunter. Yeah. It was really, really cool. It, it was really great. And I think, I, I think also even more than the first issue, and maybe that's because we read the first issue race. So we have a primer kind of for the visual language of the book. Uh, the first issue definitely, it took me a little while to really get into the point where I was understanding everything that was happening. Cause there was so much visual language happening at one time. This issue, I felt like I, un- I didn't have to read it twice. I felt like from the moment page one till the last page, I understood everything that was happening in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they still managed to, you know, they didn't shove um, Electra's backstory into the one issue. They did that great double page spread where almost everything you need to know about Electra is summed up as she's kind of doing the ribbon arts across the page. Yeah. And, um, this one still manages to shove in some, you know, of Electra's history, but it's not in your face. Everything that you're getting is sort of subtle and it's given to you in doses and over time so that if you don't have any knowledge of Electra at all, you're still able to jump onto this book without having to go to Wikipedia or anything and learn all about what's going on with her. Yeah. Absolutely. That's great. Yeah. It's, really, it's great. I mean, it's a great start to the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a lecture number two. Mm-hmm. What else you got for us, Stephanie? Um, so I wanted to bring up Warren Ellis's new book, Trees. Yeah. Um, I just had a chance to check this out. It's obviously Warren Ellis, if you don't know who that is. He's a big deal, kind of. <laughs> um, and then art by Jason Howard with uh, letters by Phonographics. Um we live, we're taken to a, you know, Earth, normal Earth, but instead of, you know, normal, normal Earth, aliens have invaded. We don't really know much about them other than they don't consider us to be an intelligent form of life. And they've... They're right. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, you know, we're like ants to them. And uh, they're dumping their waste on our planet via these, you know, these things called trees. Mm-hmm. Um, people are being wiped out by their atomic, or I don't know, nuclear. Whatever that is, that radioactive yeah, stuff. Nuclear piss. Yeah, oh. that's what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, um, and you, they're, they're all over the world, and people are being killed by these things, and these trees just don't go away, and um, th- basically, people are just trying to kind of figure out what's up with them. But I don't know. The the, the story doesn't really seem to. They don't really seem threatening at this point past their initial, um, well, the initial threat, mm-hmm. if that makes any <laughs> yeah. sense. Um, you know, they, awfully creepy cover. That, that would make is. me pretty scared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, they dump the waste and then it seems like these tubes, these trees just become inactive mm-hmm. from what I've kind of gathered. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're not really given much else. It's, it's kind of just setting up this ambiance and this our world but you know different like what Mm -hmm. if aliens invaded and we're like dummies Mm -hmm. (laughs) well it's fascinating right because there's a million alien invasion stories and a million ways to do them but this is a way that i don't think i've ever really seen before in that 
the aliens it, it, the, the aliens invading is almost like you know us building buildings where there are ant hills like yeah we're gonna kill some ants but we're not we're not doing it because we we want to take them mm-hmm. over because we want to destroy them we're doing it because we don't really care like they're just not they're not they're not important and, mm-hmm. and there's them every they're they're everywhere so that's what it is like way it is here they just kind of dump these things there and it's not like there's an invading force that is keeping people away from them. They're just there and they're doing what they're doing and they're going to kill people if they're killed, but they're not going out of their way right. to, to kill anyone. But, but it changes the entire world because people realize that they're not, we're not the head of the totem pole anymore. <laughs> so it, and all of a sudden it, it, it changes people's philosophies and it changes political climates. And, but the, the machine keeps moving, you know, there's this whole storyline about, you know, the somebody running for mayor of New York and you know you can't run for mayor of New York if you don't have a policy on the trees, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Where it's it's very much still like our world, but there's just this thing that's been kind of stuck in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the and, trees, they seem to like uh, they seem almost organic mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Like they they're seeping into our world in a way. Like they're starting to kind of like branch out like trees, which is why I guess they're called trees. Yeah. They're, yeah. yeah, they're like taking root, I guess. Um, mm. But it, it's creepy. You're right. Like it is. It is like they they don't see us as intelligent beings. It's like us taking our you know people in cities, and it's like where are we gonna dump all of our garbage? Mm. I don't know. Just like find a landfill, and that place might have been a forest that you know we've demolished, but that was someone's some creature's homes that we didn't see. You know as intelligent life or whatever. And we just got rid of it to make room for our garbage. And that's what they're doing with earth and with us and in our cities. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, a, ve- it's a very interesting story. And the, the art is really good too. Jason Howard. The art is, is really nice as well. I don't want to, you know, leave that behind the, the depiction of the trees and the, and the sense of doom and kind of impending gloom on the entire world is very apparent um, through what he does with the art. It's, it's a cool idea. Like you said, something. there's not a lot of, it's a much more of a mood you know, book than in for for issue one than it is a storybook. You know, we mm-hmm. get or even characters really we get spot. You know, get little little dips into a couple characters. They're obviously going to be, you know, bigger characters in the story. You know, the the guy running for mayor seems like he's going to be a character. There's going to like a like a you know a research station with a couple characters that seem like they're going to be characters. But at this point, you really I really couldn't tell you. Like if they weren't in the next issue, I I wouldn't also would not be surprised. Yeah, there's also uh, like a young boy who wants to study art. In, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. In yes. a city that I think has one of the trees and has kind of gone to shit, mm-hmm. but he wants to live there to kind of just get life experience and to draw, you know, things that happen as opposed to just sort of like actual trees in the countryside yeah. and all mm-hmm. this. Yeah. It's now, cool. Uh, how many different ideas could you assign to the trees here? Is it global warming? Mm. Is it pollution? Is it just the, the bad ideas that take root and mm. ruin a society as right. we've seen happen. That, that's just, yeah. And I'm sure those goals. things will be explored because yeah. it's Warren Ellis. That's right. So <laughs> nothing is as it seems uh, usually with Warren Ellis stuff. Mm-hmm. I so. think that I shall never see. No, but that's not going to be there. <laughs> that, Joyce Kilmer's poem is not going to be in this book. Yeah. But uh, I really liked it. So, I mean, but your verdict, did you really like, did you like it? Cause it, I mean, we've talked about it, but we haven't. Yeah, talked you're about right. Opinions. I kind of just summed it up. Right. Um, but I really did like it. I thought it was interesting. Um, you know, I, I come after, you know, reading Warren Ellis's next wave, which is 
vastly different from this. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you, you can't even compare it. Like it feels, you know, like, I mean, it is a completely different world and it is a completely different content, but it feels like a completely different writer. Like he just takes on these worlds that he builds for himself and changes his voice. Yeah. And it's a really interesting read. I think, you know, obviously it's a first issue and it's hard to tell if it'll be good in the long run, but Warren Ellis has proved that he's a creator worth following. And I I can't see that this book, you know, wouldn't be another one of those. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So that's trees. Number one. All right, Stephanie, any more books? No, not really. I'm, I'm kind of just lollygagging. I read cowl and Mm -hmm. that sort of, I don't, I read something else, and I've I've read lots of fables and embarrassed. <laughs> We're not gonna be talking about that. I know, but I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so those are Stephanie's yeah. books of the week. Bob, what do you got for us? I've got some wacky stuff. Okay. For a change. <laughs> First off is this came out a couple of weeks back. It's Star Trek: New Visions. The mirror cracked. Uh, this is John Byrne's new project for IDW. They have licensed from Paramount the the real Star Trek, mm. the actual original series. And so what he did was from, he has a, apparently an expansive memory of Star Trek episodes. So he, he has gone through, this is a photo novel. It is absolutely laid out as a comic book in panels with word balloons, but they are screenshots cobbled together by Mr. Byrne from all sorts of episodes, from all sorts of seasons, and put together this, story that is, in essence, a sequel to one of the most famous Star Trek episodes called Mirror Mirror, which actually had sequels on television years ago in each of the various Mm. series. The story of the original episode, which was from October 6, 1967. (laughs) I was actually there. And a transporter malfunction sends Uhura, Kirk, McCoy, and Scotty into... an alternate universe where the Federation of Planets is now an evil empire that rules through force and violence and torture and all sorts of bad stuff, while their counterparts have gone back into ours. This takes place a couple of weeks later. In essence, this is sort of the fourth season of the original series of Star Trek. And what seems to be a transporter accident is actually the beginning of an invasion of our universe from their side to here. So I'm not going to spoil anything to say there are some <laughs> folks coming from that side to here with revenge on their mind and a few others who aren't. And we see a Klingon from some other episode that he's thrown together. This is, for those of us who are fans of this show that we've lived in these reruns for all these years, this is the season we didn't get because the show was canceled. Mm-hmm. It is there. He has their voices down, which is not easy to do when you don't have, as you are talking about before, the body language and the mm-hmm. rest of it. And just really beautifully done. And to see them in such wonderful colors on top of everything else. (laughs) We had a lovely surprise ending, too. And this, which had begun as an annual last year, is now going to be a bi-monthly series. Oh, cool. And he is going to continue going down that road. I actually brought with me today. this. I have a video cassette from 1980, which is one of the first things I ever bought, which is this Star Trek episode. That cost (laughs) me 60 bucks for that double-featured TV episode. Oh, my goodness. Things were expensive way back then. Is this like the the goatee thing? They all yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The Spock with a goatee taken by a lot of you know uh, South Park and, oh, and yeah. community and all this. Yeah. Uh, actually, there's the actual shot. I have, I have all a book of here these somewhere. things. Yeah, yeah, um, of course, very very famous. There he is. There you go. Yes. Yeah, goatee Spock, Spock with a goatee. He's not a good guy. 
and he does have one here too. So let me ask you a question, Bob. Sure. I think this is a really cool thing that he's doing. Do you? Do you? I obviously you love the idea of him doing this, but when, mm-hmm. to me, like I as someone who likes Star Trek but isn't like obsessed with with the original series. Um, this like the, the it has novelty to me, but I have no interest in looking at pictures from from a show. Mm-hmm. I almost wish that he was drawing it, like that he was doing his art for it and creating his own renderings of these characters. He says on his own, without much prompting, mm-hmm. that he is terrible at drawing likenesses. Okay, he owns up to the fact that he can't. He's <laughs> they did some Star Trek series where he was drawing. Mm-hmm. And he, he, it's okay. It's recognizably who they are, but he's not satisfied with the way he does this. Gotcha. These things like this came out in the 70s. There were a dozen of these. And so he's obsessed with Star Trek, mm-hmm. the original series, loved those things. And from what I've read when he talks about these, this is the thing he's, he's enjoyed more than almost anything he's ever done in comic books. Right. That he's, he's pushing this Star mm-hmm. Trek thing forward. He has other things on the... Yeah. Docket for IDW, more trio and mm. triple helix and all the rest. But for right now, he's having fun playing in this world that Paramount's apparently willing to let them do for now. Mm-hmm. You know, this could change any minute. They, right. they've, they've been pretty mercurial as they had, IDW had Star Trek series coming out that he was drawing that they don't want to do right now because they have the new Trek movies. Right, gotcha. They're perfectly fine with this, but not with him telling new stories in the Star Trek universe. Mm. Okay. Interesting. So he's gone down this road, and mm. we get to we get to play. Here, I mean, so. obviously, like he's earned the right to do whatever the hell he wants. But right. <laughs> as someone who's kind of new to his art in the last couple of years, I've really, I've really, really enjoyed mm-hmm. it. So that's the only reason why I, yeah. I brought that up. And you're probably not going to dive into no. into this, no. <laughs> but for the six or seven thousand of us who are buying this, we're having a blast. Well, that's so great. Yeah, that, absolutely. That's a good thing. What else you got uh, for us, Bob? A, a book book. Oh, boy. But which is actually a graphic novel sort of thing. This is, I picked this up on New Comic Book Day. In essence, uh, look, I, I'm very interested in this subject. And to cement the idea, since we've had a couple of folks leave us because I'm apparently too much of a feminist for people, <laughs> this is a book by Shannon O'Leary and Joan Riley called The Big Feminist Butt. That's B-U-T, butt, not B-U-T, butt. And what the idea is here is... I'm not a feminist, but, or I'm a 100% a feminist, but. And instead of it being some sort of political screed diatribe, it's a series of comics, mostly by women, but some guys in here too. And you get a lovely introductory essay about the history of feminism through the suffragists and then into the second wave of feminism during the 60s and 70s and what's now the third wave, played out in a, just a lovely, easily graspable way. But what we have here is not some mess like that but what you have is it's really a series of dispatches from the front line the backlash against second wave feminism which is what we're even though we're in the third wave now we're in the middle of that it's all these reactions to things that are going on so we just have there's one here that i loved right away there's one called am i a spinster yet and it's corinne bunker and we get into this poor girl who's because she hasn't um found her life's made of whatever and because the world then tells you what you're supposed to be and what you are so she's um as a child i was not into planning weddings real or imaginary and so the driver just going boring but i did love cats which what i was teased for you love cats so much yes i do <laughs> you're going to be a cat lady and look it's stephanie 
<laughs> what? No! She screams. And she has a closet full of sweaters. <laughs> and she ends up with a lovely story as we go on. And it's about how you know, other people's expectations of us aren't where we should be. So we have that. We've got all, uh, uh, Scotty's Wolves, which is uh, the Norse god of winter. It's dating, life, school, work, glass ceilings. There's a story set here in an office building in the 30s, mostly silent, about a woman trying to break through at her real job. It's a lawyer's office, I believe. And the cleaning woman and she are passing in the hallway. And they're really they're sort of the same. In that time period, they're, they're, despite the one woman has a degree and everything else, she's in the same spot. These are poignant, touching, insightful, riotlessly funny, occasionally filthy. Uh, it's just everything you want it to be. It ends with three stories that are basically uh, about being a mom and how that changed in all this. One's just called a uh, boy's life. It's what you know, what to expect when you're expecting a male child. And, and you're a feminist. It becomes, and well, what do we teach the, the kid? And eventually, it's you know, teach him not to be a jerk. Mm-hmm. Teach your little boy not to be a jerk. There, it's not about. There's a, a stat there about women who binge drink too much on weekends are more likely to be raped than anybody else. And mm. well, tell me something I don't know. The, the narrator of the story says, and her name is Andy Sizer. And eventually, it just comes down to just tell your kids to be good people. And that's really the message of this book is be who you want to be. It's there for us. We have to respect each other's space, lives, worth the whole mess of it. And that is, again, it's the big feminist, but it's Shannon O'Leary. Joan Raleigh did this cover, which has a whole, whole all the feminist icons from through history, including cavewomen with a wheel. She <laughs> probably did invent the wheel. And it's from Alternative Comics. All right. Cool, Bob. Awesome. Um, all right. My, my books are not going to be nearly as important as the, books that, the book that you just talked about. Um, <laughs> so uh, my first is... Um, is Dr. Spectre, Master of the Occult. It's from Dynamite. It's uh, Mark Wade and Neil Edwards um, are the team there. Um, and this is a gold key character, I, yes, I believe, mm-hmm. um, which is something that we kind of talked about a couple of weeks ago about the, the great covers and the bad books. Right? Yes, that was the, yeah, that's one of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so really quickly, because I had no idea what to expect from this book. The only reason I picked it up because it was Mark Wade, because um, I had to give all this stuff a chance. Uh, this is about uh, Doctor Specter is in in this story is a kind of television um, like occultist like he's wow. he, he's like a kind of a ghost hunter he goes around he faces down real demons and real okay that's things. what he did in the old days huh? yeah but he does it on national television mm-hmm. for profit and he owns like a you know he's like Doctor he's like Specter Productions and he's very oh, wow. rich um, and he's you know in this in this story you know you know he he's kind of almost painted as you know, if he's got a little Sherlock Holmes in him, he's got a little bit of that, like, when he's not working on a case, he's kind of lost. You know, he doesn't have a life. And every time he solves a big case, he has kind of a breakdown because, you know, he realizes that there's nothing else in his life except for working these cases and he needs another one to go on. Um, he has, like, a television show, like, almost a talk show thing where he sits down with people and they come in and his whole thing is, like, he t- he tears apart fakes and fraud. So when he brings them in, people nice. claim to be mysticism, you know, he brings yeah. them in and he, he basically, he's like Simon Cowell but of, right. you know, of mystics. And we the, the the book opens with this giant, he's facing on this, like, the, the biggest fight of his entire life, vampire thing, you know, and 
it's it's really cool. It's really well done, and the character he's got a little bit of like I said of like that Sherlock Holmes in him, a little bit of Indiana Jones in him. He's a little bit of an ass, but he's definitely at least likable. Uh, and that happens, and then you're like, okay, so this is the big moment, and that's when we find out he has all these problems. And then he goes on a show, and basically he's meaning this this eighty year old woman who claims to be this you know this this she can talk to the dead and all this stuff, and he's ready to rip her apart, and something. She's not faking, you know. Something really huge wow. happens, um, and in those moments, in a very few moments, you really see both what he can do and the the great things about him, and the the, the horrible, selfish things about this character. Um, and you kind of get the idea of where the story is going. Um, I expected to like it because it's Mark Wade, but I ended up really, really loving the story, knowing nothing about the character. Yeah. Um, just, I, I've been in kind of this Sherlock house kind of mode recently as far as stuff I'm watching. So getting this character was like a, a bit of a good bit of happenstance that I started reading this book. Um, really cool. The Neil Edwards art is great always, yeah. as it always is. Um, yeah, it was really, really good. I was really surprised. Like, um, I, I talked about Cal and how I don't think I'm picking up a second issue. I think I'll definitely be picking up at least a second issue of this book to see if I stick with it. I always have this thing. I tend to not get into his licensed character stuff that much. Like I, I, I read the first few issues of the Green Hornet stuff and I liked it, but I just I didn't have that fire to keep reading mm-hmm. it. I'm hoping that stays with this, but it was really, really good. I really, really enjoyed huh. it. Um, of a character I knew nothing about. Yeah. Will you try any of the other old gold key characters or stick to Mark Wade? I think I there's guess. the one that I think that Jeff Parker is writing. Is he writing one? Magnus? He might be writing Magnus or he's writing Solar, Man of the Atom. I don't know. I think it might be Solar. I think yeah. Might, yeah. I don't know which one. I, I think that. I think on the one he's doing, Doc Shaner is doing the art on that book, and I really like him as an artist as well. So, you know, I, I it has like I like Jeff Parker. I love Mark Wade, so that's why I picked up this book. Those books would obviously be more of if they get really nice reviews and stuff, I'd check them out in trade or something like that. But it's cool, you know. I, I like I said, nothing about the character, but the, his world kind of interests me. So I'm gonna keep picking it awesome. up. Um, the other one I want to talk about is the Thanos Annual that came out, um, mm. written by Jim Starlin. Uh, with art by Ron Lim. So, classic team. Classic team. And this tells the story of after the big fight with Captain Marvel and Drax, um, where he's kind of defeated. Uh, this is before Infinity Gauntlet. This is kind of this first gambit against mm-hmm. Thor. That's when he has the, um, I call it the Tesseract now, the Cosmic Cube. Yeah. Um, and he he's defeated. And this is a story of how he's set on his path to go after the infinity gauntlet. Uh, so it takes place in, in between. He gets rescued by kind of his, some of his minions, but he gets taken to hell by Mephisto Ooh. where Mephisto is basically, he needs, he wants henchmen. He wants agents. He wants people who can do his bidding that are, you know, devilish and strong and, and brilliant, but that will be under his, you know, his mob is I'll give you infinite power. If you give me your soul, and um, Thanos re- refuses yeah. him, obviously, and he is then visited by future Thanos. Um, <laughs> this sounds like Jim Starlin. Yeah, Mephisto yeah. is about to kill him, and all of a sudden he's saved, and it's because uh, uh, Thanos, who has the Infinity Gauntlet, has basically sent back this kind of projection of himself because he wants to figure out how he escaped this Mephisto mm-hmm. Encounter because he doesn't remember it at wow. all, um, 
And then there's this whole story about him kind of traveling, the two Thanos traveling together, him showing him what he does and what the gauntlet does and all of this stuff. Um, it was really great. Like I, I had heard that it was good and I was interested in it, but I didn't know what to, really to expect. Um, and it was awesome. Like it was the the writing was was tight and and big and verbose. You know, it was it was great. The art by Ron Lim is, is fantastic, and um, I believe that Starling is doing kind of a Thanos mini series, which it's called. Um, oh, here we go. Wait, here we go. Uh, well, I see the Living Tribunal. Yeah, the the page. Infinity Revelation is what the next one is called. Sure, why not? Yeah, that we have the Living yeah. Tribunal and we have all this stuff, and it's. It's really great. It was it, it was just a great book. It it was big and cosmic, and you know I I fell off the Jason Aaron kind of uh, origin series they were doing with, with Thanos, but this is is just I, I, I without knowing a ton about the character other than what we read in Infinity and and what kind of we've I've seen in by catching up on movie stuff and the little bit of the Infinity Gauntlet mm-hmm. I've read, I really got into it. I don't think you need to know much about the character to really like it. If you're interested in what the character is going to be and what this whole movie thing is happening, we mentioned Josh Brolin before. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great thing to pick up and just, you know, discover whether or not you love the character from really the person who Creator. created the yep. character. So it's pretty cool. Well, nice to see he's back in Marvel. They had had a falling out for a bit. So yeah. Yeah. And I guess he's doing deal. that mini. And so that's, yeah, it's great. Absolutely. Is that his cover? It looks like you it. know. I don't know. I know this I mean, is that is the, that is the down, variant. But... So um, he did do one of the variant covers. So I don't know if this is his or not, but it, it very well could be. Um, I can never tell what, how you can tell these things. So <laughs> I, let me, let me take, uh, Bob's gonna look. So yeah, that's Thanos Annual and uh, Doctor Specter, Master of the Occult, number one. Yeah, I think so. All right, so we're gonna take a uh, a little break. We're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about our pull lists, what we've been loving, what we're thinking about dropping, and. Just kind of how we're how we deal with the week to week grind of reading comic books. Cool. are back and like i said we're gonna talk about our pull list we're gonna talk about kind of what we're reading what we're thinking about dropping what it's like to be reading all of these books you know uh, monthly and and stuff like that i, I want to start out kind of with that because um i've been we've been 70 i've been having a you know pre-show conversation kind of talking about what we we're going to talk about and i was making sure that she had read my email since she didn't answer it and <laughs> um <laughs> she had mentioned that she hadn't been reading a lot of, uh, you know, of weekly comics because she'd been kind of feeling burnt out on them. Um, I don't want to talk about like you're not here, Stephanie. So that's correct, right? That is correct, Bobby. Please <laughs> carry on. Uh, and I had said, well, that's funny because kind of the reason I thought of this topic was because over the last, I'd say month, maybe, maybe a little bit more than that, I had kind of been feeling the same. I had been feeling um, kind of burnt out on, on, on the weekly books and... I thought it was interesting that you had the same kind of thought. What was it about it for you, Stephanie, that made you feel that way? Um, it wasn't even so much a thing that kind of was even like a conscious moment for me. You know, I, I had just been, you know, reading comics nonstop. And then I switched over to novels for a little bit because I have a lot that I haven't read. And I kept on saying to myself, like I kept collecting my single issues, but 
you know, it, it clicked with me after I read like a couple novels and tried to get back to comics that my body and like my mind was just like, you don't want to go back to that right now. I, I, I kept on, there was things that I was excited for that had come out and, you know, there was like Miss Marvel and stuff and like the chew and revival and all this, but it, it just clicked with me that I just wasn't into it right now. Like it just felt, it didn't feel like it was fun for me at the time. Like it wasn't feeling like something I could just jump into and enjoy. It felt a bit like a chore um, and I think it's partially because, you know, to an extent we read things for fun on the show, like for the show, but we also try and keep up with one another's books when we know in advance what everyone else is reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wasn't trying to think of it in that kind of um, mind frame. And yet I couldn't kind of disassociate myself with uh, just not enjoying it at the time. I, I mean, comics are great. I still love them. There's, it, it was just this thing where I think I overdid it. I read too much, and it's like having too much of a good thing. You know, I love pot stickers. You know, I, I go to this Chinese restaurant every time I'm in Minnesota, and they have the best pot stickers ever. And you order some, and they give you six. And sometimes I feel like I don't want an entree. Sometimes I just feel like I should get two orders of pot stickers. But I know that if I get two orders of pot stickers, I'll be off pot stickers because that is too much pot stickers. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's that's yeah. my comparison. You said pot stickers so many times that the, the words lost all meaning. Yes. Well, the point is, is if you have too much of a good thing, you can. You know, not enjoy that thing. You need time away from it before you can enjoy it again. Yeah, I, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, I totally agree with you. And I, I found that I was getting this place the last couple of uh, of weeks where I wasn't, I was only reading, I was reading a, a very few, I was reading like three or four books um, out of m- my poll list because I just, it was all I could really get excited to read or, or, or get up to read. And then I just wasn't feeling like going back and reading it. So I had this pile of books starting to mount up, you know, like, you know, I was reading three, but it would have like eight left over from the week. And then after a few weeks, you've got like a pile of like 25 books that you're just behind on. And at this Ouch. point, you're, now you're three weeks away from when that issue came out. So then you're almost two, mo- almost two months away from when the first issue came out. So I don't think I'm even going to remember, you know, what the first issue was. Now you're reading twice as many to play catch up. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So it, the, the idea of it was so daunting to me that I was just ignoring it. And I was just reading number ones or books, you know, like Daredevil or something like that, that I was that I was tuned in on and I was cool with. And I, that, that's all I, I knew I wanted to read them. I knew I'd enjoy them. And... and I still enjoyed those books, but I even found myself a lot of the time liking those books, but not having that same crazy reaction to them. Just because, like Stephanie was saying, I just it was just too much. I was saturated, you know, mm-hmm. with, with, with with the books. Um, and I know, Bob, you you kind of get to avoid this because you you manage your pull list and you kind of shape your pull list a lot cleaner than I think that we do. I paired over the years, right. basically little bits at a time, and I'll jump on something new, try it. Maybe would trade weight if I like one issue. I was trapped for years in just buying books I wasn't liking Mm -hmm. because you had to have them all. But they were, I'd read them still. And eventually that malaise would set in. I'm not really enjoying this. So eventually, you know, Chris Claremont left the X-Men. Gone. Mm -hmm. I don't want to read this without him writing it. 
Spider-Man clone saga, you're going to tell me that the last 15 years of stories weren't Peter Parker. <laughs> Goodbye. Mm-hmm. I'm just out of here. Money's tight. Time is tight. To read things that are not even B-list characters, but become B-grade books mm-hmm. that you're liking but not loving when there are things out there that you could be jazzed about and right. some you haven't even thought of. It's just too much of a waste. And the problem is, when we had Ted Adams on talking about the fetishistic nature of actually holding the book and month-to-month buying, you get trapped into that. Yeah. And you need to step away almost like an addict and say, yeah. I, I have to break clean here. One of the best things that happened for me, honestly, was Heroes Reborn. <laughs> when Marvel turned over the keys to the, the Cadillac to the image guys and said, here, you draw Captain America and Thor and the Avengers and Fantastic Four. And I went, goodbye. Mm-hmm. That hurt. That really did hurt. But it, it, I then bought more DCs. I bought some indies. I went read old books and was all jazz. So when they finally turned back around again, 15, 18 years ago, whatever it was, mm. I felt better about what I was reading. Right. And so that break that you guys are both taking might be just a thing. Or maybe dive back into a pile of things you really love. Maybe it should be Rachel Rising. You mm. know, Steph, go do a marathon of that and remember why you love the form. Yeah. I think that's absolutely true. And I think one of the things that I found myself most dis- distressed is a strong word for, for reading things, but um, distressed about was that I felt like I was reading this stuff and none of the stuff I was reading was bad or, or even not that wasn't good. But there's so much I haven't read yet. There's so much old stuff I haven't read yet. So much classic stuff I haven't mm-hmm. read yet. So many series that are going on now that I, I said, I'll get the trade when they come out and they just never got the trade when they came out that I haven't been reading that I could be reading if I, I just kind of shed some of the the month to month books that I was buying. Like I I really would like to have read all of Fatal, you know. By now I've read the part of the first arc and that's it, you know. And I loved it so much when I was first reading it, but it just got lost in the shuffle and this pile of, of other stuff. And then you know I, I do I need and I, I've I've started paring down, but then I feel like I I pared down and all of a sudden stuff just started coming back up again. Mm-hmm. Like I just all of a sudden there's new stuff that I need to think about and, and, and pare down again. So I I really want to look into that stuff, and I, that's what this has been about for me the last couple of weeks. Has been like, what what do I really love? What do I have to be reading now? And what stuff that a I'm reading because I kind of like it and I kind of want to see what's going on, or b I feel like I have to read it because. I'm, I do a podcast about comic books. You know, um, there are definitely things like that that I'm like, oh, I should probably read it so I know. Um, I, and those are the things I have to cut. Um, I don't know, like the, I mean, we don't have to go like, we don't have to do it as, as you know, this is our full poll list, but I just want to talk about a couple things. Like th- this, this week has actually been funny because this past weekend, I read a lot of books. Uh, and, the, and it's funny because the very thing that had been weighing me down was the thing that kind of, re-energized me this week and made me because the last couple weeks I've been like yeah I want to read old stuff but I'm so tired of reading everything that I just don't even feel like the I don't feel the the desire to even go back and read the stuff that I really want to read but this week has definitely um, brought me back a little bit and you know I, I went through it and I was like this is kind of I'm going to figure out what series you know I, I'm going to keep and what I'm not and I, that's what I I read Electra one and two even though I already read one and that's obviously we talked about before one that I'm definitely keeping because I liked it so much you know I I read Iron the, the second issue of Iron Fist and I read the first issue again and it's that's again that's a series that I like I think it's interesting and I like the art but it's a series that I'm probably going to drop because I'm just I don't feel passionately about mm-hmm. it and I, I read that right around the time that I I read that in Electric on a back to back and 
you know, both share um, similarities in a lot of ways. Really crazy art, um, a really kind of intense story. Uh, but I just felt so much more towards Electra than I felt about the Iron Fist book that even though it's good, I'm probably going to leave it, you know, I'm going to leave it behind. Um, I did a lot of the Marvel books because I had fallen, not fallen behind, but been an issue behind and it's been a couple weeks since I'd read. So Silver Surfer, I did the same thing. Silver Surfer, I'm definitely going to keep reading. Just really enjoyed it. I think I think it's really cool. Um, the art is so beautiful that I, I can't not read it. Yeah. Um, I feel sort of the same way, in fact, about Inhuman because I read the second issue and I liked it. And it's a series that I like. But I'm just kind of in love with the way the book looks. Like the, Captain America was in the last issue, and I just loved the way that he looked in the book. And it's one of these few books that, like, I I really am considering picking up the next issue simply because I like Joe Mad's art, you know, so much in it. And that's Charles Soule still, right? Yeah, it's good. It's, it's, it's a good book, but again, like, it 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 starts to toe towards that line of being like, well, it's good, but huh. is it going to get better? But, yeah, that's is the question. the question you need to ask. Yeah, and I don't know. I I just I really can't tell. Try one more. Yeah. Um, so that was, that's, that's, that's close for me. Uh, again, um, Magneto was one of the ones that's, it's, it's securely in the, I'm going to keep reading it front. Cullen Bunn, uh, the, the, the story is just really cool. I've just been really enjoying it. Um, and, and, uh, I, I caught up with issues two and three, uh, the other day and, and it solidified it for me. Just really, really great. Uh, really great take on, on a character I think is intensely interesting. Uh, you know, I I read the first two issues of Shudder, which is the Joe Keating book. Steve talked about it a few weeks ago, how much he loved it. Uh, really, really great book. Really, really great book. Um, I really loved reading the two issues back to back. So it's it, it's in this mind of me that I'm like, yeah, it's great. And I, sh- I would love to keep reading it. But maybe I'll just pick up the trade because if I loved reading two issues in a row, I'll probably really love reading mm-hmm. five or six issues in a row. Um, and with Image, it's like it will come out once the sixth right. issue is out. So. I'll tell you one thing. I, I can't speak for either you or for mm. Stephanie here, so Steph, help me out here when I falter. <laughs> I, I've said this before. I think so many of the indie books particularly, but the big books are written to the trades too, to mm. a certain extent, but not as much as the, the indies. I really think they're written as complete stories and cut somewhat arbitrarily into chapters. Mm. You can create an act that it ends and something happens, continued next month or whatever, but I really think they're meant to be read the other way. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're reading a month to month is not doing the work any favors or yourself. Right. Yeah. So pulling back, buying an issue, seeing if you like it, or if you get the chance to thumb through in the store, mm-hmm. wait to see some reviews, see a couple of issues and see where it's going. Sometimes it doesn't matter. I know everyone loves black science. Right. Yeah. Okay, but not everything goes until you see chapter three, chapter four, mm-hmm. and know that there's not all the ideas got blown out of the water in the first two issues. Now there's nothing. It all peters away to right, nothing. Yeah. yeah, and you've then wasted six or eight months and twenty or thirty dollars. And uh, yeah, I know uh, Justin actually got the black. He hasn't been reading it, Justin Towns, and he and he got the black science trade, and he was so excited about it. He's like, I finally get to read it, and I I was kind of jealous of the fact that. He's got to sit there and read all through the whole thing. Yeah, Stephanie, sorry, you were going to say something. It kind of brings up an interesting question, and I know we've touched on it before, but somebody had mentioned it on Twitter again recently. And, you know, with the sales, single-issue sales kind of going down a bit more, you know, as opposed to years ago when numbers were just ridiculous, Mm -hmm. do you think it's getting to the point where it's not just us, like it's listeners as well? Like, And listeners, again, feel free to tune in on the uh, the yes. boards or whatever but do you think 
we're getting to a point where single issues are becoming a thing of the past. Like, do you think for Image or like some of the smaller publishers, I mean, Archaea only pretty much, you know, publishes in trades. Do you think that's going to become a trend with Image and Marvel and stuff like just to print out 2014 volume one and two of Inhuman, the first arc and second arc written this year, as opposed to doing single issues? You know, I think that, well, A, Archaea, since they joined with Boom, now they're doing single-issue books now. Um, they just put out their first, I think the last broadcast mm-hmm. is kind of their first issue-by-issue um, issue book. Um, and I read that, and it obviously was a collected volume that they cut <laughs> into, into a piece into pieces. Um, I, I, think, I think it was Dan Dedeo on that Fat Man on Batman podcast where he talked about the business aspect of it. And he goes, look, he goes, if you break down the business... He go, um, it doesn't make sense to do it that way. Because even if, it, it, you know, it, it, he's like, because a lot of people are always talking about that, right? About just being trades. He goes, the numbers don't bear out because if, if this many people decide, you know, month, you know, every six months to buy a book, it doesn't, it doesn't equal more money than people buying a book every single month over six months. He's like, the way business works, you can't, you know, you want that, you want that income coming in every month. Um, so I, I feel like, Creatively, I think in, for the the indie stuff, I think it would make a lot of sense. Um, but I think financially, it doesn't make any sense for them to do it um, because I just think it takes you out of the zeitgeist for the mm-hmm. time when your book isn't on the shelf. You know what I mean? Like Saga is like amazing, and you get this buildup of anticipation towards the, when the trade comes out. And the trade sells great, but that's because for uh, for six months, people are talking about how awesome the book is. You know, and you wouldn't really have that. You'd have these, this like one burst of people talking about, oh, this this next volume of Saga was great, and then that's it. And then you wouldn't hear anything about it again for six months. Um, so that's the only reason why I think it's it's not maybe a, a thing that's ever going to happen. Although I think that in some cases, I think it would work pretty well. Because yeah. like, I mean, you could. I mean, Marvel and DC and bigger companies could obviously make sure that they have a book hitting, like a big book hitting regularly. Mm-hmm. And to even it out, they could always do one shots and stuff. Yeah. You know, like to bring in fans to the store on a weekly basis, continuing. And I don't know. It just seems like to me that's becoming more uh, ideal for me, mm-hmm. you know, in, in order to keep up with everything, though. Yeah. Well, I think you'll see one of the small companies do something like this eventually, mm-hmm. you know, that are more self-contained, creator-owned sort of stories. I've always said that with how many Batman titles are there, 13, yeah, yeah. 14, and the world's finest is becoming a mm-hmm. Batman book, you could put four Batman books out a month, one each week, with stories collected from the four as a digest sort of thing. And I always said for supermarkets and toy stores, but you could do it in a comic store setting too. Mm-hmm. If you really want to start compressing everything down, to get people to come into the store for their sake weekly. Right, yeah. Just to drive that money. But again, if uh, uh, trades are going to dominate more and more the marketplace in mm. terms of the, the dollar value, particularly they're going to start raising the prices. You know, that's gonna, they're going to end up being 20 and not 16. And right. You'll see this start to look at what, what hardcover prices are. Well, especially I think when people start buying things more from Amazon and, you know, people who buy things from Barnes & Noble, nobody goes there to buy single issues. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely for the mainstream audience, it's definitely more attractive. You know, to hand somebody 
people, even if even it is twenty dollars, they feel much like the more they're getting their money's worth if you hand them a complete story for twenty dollars, rather than having to buy part of a story right. for three dollars. Here's a chapter from the new Stephen King novel, and it's five dollars. Yeah, exactly. You have, to, you have to buy twelve more of these over the next year to yeah. get the whole story. Yeah, it's weird. What? That's not how I buy books. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Bob, you were you were saying? I was sorry, you were making a point there. I don't know. I forget. No, <laughs> uh, no. In terms of uh, trades and hardcover collections mm. taking up more and more percentage in the marketplace, you see. We see those figures. How are people still buying the first trade of Walking Dead? Right. <laughs> 140, 50 issues in, mm-hmm. in into these collections. People are still being driven to buy that and Saga and so on and so yeah. on and so forth. So that marketplace is starting to grow. Do we want to grow that and eliminate the other? Again, Ted Adams said no. Mm-hmm. Dan Video is saying no. Yeah. I'm sure Brevoort would say no. Right. There are other companies, though, that I think it's going to happen. Yeah. There's going to be some smaller company that says, you know, you really need to be, not the kid stuff, not Adventure Time, which you need a disposable $3 book that mm-hmm. your kid can wreck. Yeah. But does there need to be as great a book as Black Science was or Black Beetle mm. that's an art book for grownups monthly? Would have, or, I loved masks. Yeah. I would have just as soon bought the $20 trade and yeah. waited eight months and gotten all the extras and all the rest of it instead of, like a like a stoop buying issue after issue because I loved reading it. Mm-hmm. There will be an adjustment from our reader level to them. They'll then readjust to us probably. Yeah, I mean, I do think there is something to be said though, and I I talked about this way back, like when we first when I first started doing this. I think there is something to be said from getting to read something written and drawn by your favorite writer or artist every month. You, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? The fact that you get. You know, for six months out of the year, you get something every month from Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. I, I think is there's something very unique about that to comic books. Yes, uh, and I think that the fact that I get to read three or four books written by Scott Snyder every month is is a joy for me. Like I look forward to it, and don't worry, I would look forward to do if American Vampire and The Wake and all this stuff came out just as collected volumes. Yeah. It would still be awesome. Quarterlies or whatever. Right? Yeah, yeah, sit down and read them. It would be really cool. Um, and obviously it would be more manageable, <laughs> yeah. uh, absolutely. But I think I would miss a little bit of that, um, you know, th- that, uh, I don't know, that water cooler conversation, mm-hmm. a little bit of it too. That's part of it. It's like TV, you know, it's like th- there's the, and there's and both models work. Don't be wrong. There's the Netflix model, which is here's the entire yeah, season. Binge watch, right? Watch it whenever you want to watch it. Like it's all there. Um, and then there's the model of, of network television or cable television even where it's every week for 10 weeks, for 12 weeks, for 24 weeks, you get uh, an episode of the TV show. Um, and I think both have their merits and both have their downsides. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the downside is the same in both. The downside to the weekly, the monthly issues or the weekly show is that you could lose the thread of the story that you're so interested in over a year, over 24 episodes. Um the but the de- the downside of everything at once is you watch it one weekend and then you forget about it for a year yeah. you know and, and then, then have to rewatch season three of Dexter to watch season four <laughs> yeah, or whatever yeah. once you've done that now, right I, that that speaks to something content wise I'll throw that out to you Stephanie first and then to Bobby too where I grew up in the era where there were continued stories but they were two or three issues. If there was a, a bubbling under subplot, I mean, Stan ran two years on FF and things changing, coming up, going backwards, but you felt that there were there was an ending in this new way of storytelling where things go on sometimes for years without mm-hmm. ending. Is that maybe contributing to your 
I don't want to say disinterest, but as you said, distress about month after month and then no progression in plot, characters, storyline. Steph, what do you think? Yes, okay. 100%. You know, now that you kind of say it too, like it wasn't something that necessarily clicked as an independent thing for me to voice, but hearing it kind of feels like, yes, so much that. Um, I, I wish that there was more definitive ends to books and that you know you can just pick up something like final crisis and and that's just you know self-contained and i wish there was more stories that just have an end and you can go from thing to thing and not necessarily have to know the the last big thing um with the comics i mean some books are better than others about each arc being a jumping on point Um, which to an extent is what I guess we're talking about, but Mm -hmm. not to the same degree, I don't think. Um, I I wish that more books did that. And it would be cool, you know, we wouldn't need to see as many X books and stuff if they did something like this too, because you could always change up the team from arc to arc. Yes. And um, there could be different things to be done with these series if they would adapt um, back to that model. You know, yeah. there wouldn't need to be so many books for us to get absorbed in. People would put more money into the quality book that changes up, um, you know, what's going on while still keeping a good story in theory. Yeah, look, the Justice League in the old days changed the roster all the time. So mm-hmm. did the Avengers. They weren't always, as much as I love having 47 Avengers to fight a really <laughs> big fight, it's unwieldy to read and the story never seems to get places because mm. we've got to tell everyone's story everyone needs a, a moment yeah where if you oh there was an issue uh, henry gyrick who we saw get killed in the x-men mm. movie he was the avengers liaison to the government you can only have six members <laughs> period or you don't get your avengers passes and free airspace and all the rest of it and oh by the way you have to have minority representation <laughs> They were the government. Mm-hmm. So it, it was it was a clever way. It was Steve Englehart. It was a clever way to do it. And they then pared the team down to something that was fun reading. And it was a weird group. Yeah. The Beast and Wonder Man. And, whatever, mm-hmm. and it was fun. And it was just a little different. And stories moved forward. They moved back and got on with themselves a mm-hmm. little bit. What about you? I mean, I, I absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that well, the problem is, and, is that every writer thinks and this is what makes great writers great but it also is what makes you know mediocre writers mediocre which is that everyone all they all think that they have the ability to do what x comic book writer or x writer has done mm-hmm. in the past so they think they have the ability to do what whoever your favorite whoever your favorite writer is you know uh chris claremont or grant morrison or any of these amazing neil gaiman any of these right. people who are like the the alan moore frank miller these people who are the the creme de la creme of comic book writers who created these either huge long runs with characters or defined characters or whatever or redefined characters whatever they were everybody thinks they can be and wants to be that person so you have series and, and characters that they do exactly that. They go on way too long. They try to they try to find and they try to be great. And you want people trying to be great. But not everybody can be that guy who can write a nine-year run on a character yeah. and it be engrossing and amazing and worth reading all nine years. Right. Have issue 100 be as fabulous as issue one. Exactly. So I, I think that – and look, that comes down to editorial and all these other things. Like that's what their job is to do. 
Um, so I think that we, I think you get better stories and I think you would get more interesting stories if writers were like, okay, you've got 12 issues. You, this, this is the 12 issues you get in this character. Do what you're going to do. And obviously there would be exceptions. If somebody was amazing for five years of the, of this, mm-hmm. when they'd be like, okay, here's your character. You can say I'm as long as you want. You know, when you got someone like Scott Snyder, you're not going to tell him you're done, you yeah. know, after 12 issues with this character. But not everyone is that is that person. You know, you need you need to people need to understand and they need to have bosses that tell them this is this is the arc you get to write. Let's move on after that. So, yeah, I think I think it could definitely help because. I mean, again, we, talk, we talked about this before. We've now we, we've now gotten two Marvel like soft relaunches in two years um which for us i feel like for me especially adds a lot of books to my pull list because i just want to read them to make sure that i can talk about them and you know if this was and it's not just like we're we're gonna take x-men and and put it back number one after 12 issues we're gonna they're just they keep adding on books so i I couldn't even list i i I, if i should list off my head all the marvel books i can remember i'd probably miss half of them you know yeah (laughs) <laughs> just say Avengers a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Which, it was a good model for DC, the 52, the new 52, where they had 52 books, which is obviously a lot of books. Yes. <laughs> we were never, ever going to read all of those individually. Mm-hmm. But it was a good model that, you know, the best selling titles stayed and the ones that didn't necessarily sell go away and are replaced. Like they never mm-hmm. have more than 52 books, mm-hmm. which again is still a lot, but it gives you a, a number to not overextend by, you know, right. like it was a really interesting way to go about it. And even though some of the titles we loved got canceled or whatever, some titles that were shit got canceled mm. deservingly. And I mean, it's a flawed model, obviously, but at the same time, the, the idea behind it is good that there's never more than X amount of titles, which gives you more ability to, ideally that you're going to focus on individual books and not dedicate 25 of those to X-Men. Right. Well, well, here's an interesting old time story that you may or may not know. Marvel at its best pre-1970, before Stan went to be the Mm. publisher and Kirby left and all the rest of it, were distributed by DC. Mm. DC told them how many books they could publish every month. Right. They didn't want the competition on the newsstand. So that's why even later into the run, there were still books like Tales of Suspense that were Captain America and Iron Man, each sharing the book, or Strange Tales was Doctor Strange and Nick Fury, because they couldn't, pull, they couldn't put any more books on the stands. Mm-hmm. But all, every book they put out, every book, and that includes Millie the Model and Sergeant <laughs> Fury and his Howling Commandos, were aces. Mm-hmm. They were spectacular books, and they still passed DC in sales because they put out quality books because they were self-contained. They weren't spread all over the lot. They don't need to be DC's guilty too because they replaced all the books that canceled with Batman right. <laughs> or Superman or Batman and Superman. Mm-hmm. Marvel, it's Avengers and X Men and Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Enough already. Yeah. Enough already. And if I have to go through all these books to try to pick up the threads of the story, which they, they start to bleed into each other, I can't even remember which who writes which one. Mm-hmm. And I'm into this stuff. I, right. I surrendered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, yeah. You finally just have, I, I don't want to look at any book with Avengers in it. Right. Yeah, which, you know, tying back into Polis stuff is why I don't have any X-Men or Avengers books on my list anymore. I'm going down that road, kid. <laughs> I'm telling you. What's your, you want me to go or do you want to start reading Polis stuff? 
Uh, me? Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Bob. Okay. I will. I Look, will. Bro, right now, <laughs> I'm on the fence with the two Hickman Avengers books. Mm. As much as I love his work, in Fantastic Four and FF, as the two books bounced back and forth with each other, telling the same stories from different angles, it progressed and it moved forward. And if it moved sideways, it was an interesting move sideways. Some of those issues we highlighted in that our first mm. year best of where Willie Lumpkin's dying in the hospital and you had all that crazy stuff going on or the, the future story with the Nazis. Great little stuff. These two books, I, I really feel like I've been reading the same book and the same story for months Yeah, with nothing going on. Oh, I get to see the Black Swan once in a while. She talks about French fries or something. <laughs> And it's incursions, and now it's coming to a big head that's going to change the universe forever. Mm. And I'm, I'm frankly weary of it. Mm. I was really enjoying Assemble, mm. which had the tone of the movies that Kelly Sue was doing. And this Mighty Avengers, that's all I need to get. I get my fix of Avengers, I'll watch the movie. I, I really start to feel that way. Yeah. And the X-Books, I was off for years anyway. Mm-hmm. X-Factor, I'm glad I stuck with it because it's turned into a Peter David book. Mm. It's it's the book I want, but the Brian Wood X-Men turned into, oh, we'll tie into events. Mm-hmm. I don't want to read events. I don't want to read those other books. Out of here. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's it's a tough call on books I've been reading for decades. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I have to enjoy it. Otherwise, it's money wasted, time wasted, and I could buy something. I could buy a trade paper. I could velvet, which I need to catch up on instead of reading Avengers that I'm not enjoying. Right, yeah. I, I feel that, I mean, I dropped Avengers a while ago, and I'm on the same place you are with New Avengers. I kept on with New Avengers longer because I loved that book so much mm-hmm. for, for a while. At this point, you're absolutely right. I just feel like it's the same thing over and over and over again. And um, it's written well. It always looks beautiful. But I, 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 I feel like, and this happens, right? This happens. It's like, it's very analogous to the movie world where a director does something really, really good. And then the next thing he gets to do, people go, okay, do whatever you want. Cause you obviously know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of runs, it kind of goes and runs amok a little bit. It kind of, it gets big and it gets airy and it, it's not as tight. And, and I, I feel, I feel that way about, you know, the Avengers stuff. I feel like we were talking about before, but ending runs, I feel like it should just end with Infinity. And Absolutely. then it should have somebody else, you know? Because I feel like Infinity, the Infinity was a good capper on everything that he was doing in, in his Avengers work. And now we just have more. Um, and I, well, I will say uh, on, on, on the forum, somebody asked me about, I, I want to read an Avengers book and I want to read an X-Men book. I can afford like five Marvel, uh, six Marvel books. I definitely want one of them to be Avengers, one of them to be X-Men, and the rest be whatever. And I did my usual recommendations. And then, you know, for X-Men, I said Uncanny and All New. Um, and then for Avengers, I was like, well, New Avengers, I think it's the best one. And someone on the board was like, they should really read Mighty Avengers if they want to just read an yeah. Avengers book. Because all that other stuff has too much stuff going on to understand, you know. And yeah, you could never pick up. You can yeah. never pick that up in the middle of it. And the sad thing is, if as you postulate, if it had ended with Infinity, which he could have, I, I don't know what's on his whiteboard at right, this point. Yeah. <laughs> But it, that was a logical place for all this to come to an end because mm-hmm. these builders and mappers are all in these stories and now it's, what, six months out? Yeah. And we still haven't gotten to the major storylines. Yeah. And they're coming with Time Ends or some other miniseries that will go into 14 other things. And, <laughs> yeah. And and then they double ship them. Yeah. Half the time. I Can't we double ship Hawkeye, which I really enjoy <laughs> and never seems to come out? Yeah. I know, I know, I know. Joe Casada said something really interesting. He did an interview with uh, Kevin Smith and he said that before he went to Marvel to do Marvel Knights, when they asked him to come, he made a stipulation to them. He said, look, I want to be... They, he wanted to make sure people didn't think it wasn't... This wasn't Heroes Were Born Again. He's like, we were going to work in the office with them. We were going to go through all the processes mm-hmm. they go through. But he's like, the Marvel way, in the, in the, in the, in the, in like the 10 or 15 years before that he had shown up, was 
take a good thing and run it into the ground. Like yeah. that, that was what they did. They, they came up with a good idea. And then once it looked like they were going to sell, they copied that idea through every single other book and they, and they ruined it. And he said to them, if we're doing the Marvel Knights thing, it's these four books. We're going to see how it goes. But no, the books don't get edited or put out by anyone else but us. And they said they, they tried to sneak a Moon Knight series out really? with that branding on it. And it's funny because obviously he still works there, but he's more kind of in like the movie side of things now. But that's that's what I feel like a lot of stuff happens with them. And we talk a lot of look. I love I love a lot of Marvel books, but um, uh, they they tend to do that with with these these bigger properties that they have. Right. That's why the ones I'm enjoying the most are the ones that are the smaller ones. Yeah, look, it's Mighty Avengers, it's Captain Marvel, Ms. Marvel, mm. She Hulk. Yeah, I mean, I I was reading for a while. I was reading in the X Men universe. I was reading um, X Men. Amazing X-Men, Uncanny X-Men, All New X-Men, um, and if there was another book I was reading as well. I don't remember which one it was. Uh, I'm X-Men, down now X-Men? to... What did you say? X-Men, X-Men. X-Men, X-Men. X-Men. Uh, cool X-Men. <laughs> Best X-Men. Best X-Men. Uh, uh, Excellent X-Men. Wolverine and the X-Men. Wolverine and the X-Men was one of the other ones. There we go. Uh, and I, I'm down to just the two Bendis books because I, I, I genuinely just really enjoy them. And if I wasn't really enjoying them, I wouldn't be reading them either. Um I read those two because I feel like I get all the X stuff I want out of those two books. Um, I feel like all the other ones are kind of specious. Whether or not they're good or not is, is another thing. But mm-hmm. for me, who just wants kind of the the big mainline X-Men action, I find it right there. And that's that's all I need. And those stay on my pull list because I just really enjoy them. Um, I'm not the kind of person who will... like I, I, I really like Brian Michael Bendis, but I would not keep reading the books just because he wrote them. I've dropped plenty of Bendis books you know, mm-hmm. because I didn't enjoy what was happening there. Um, well, this is great advice. Find a through line. Yeah. I want to read an Avengers book. I want to read an X-Men book. Find the one that speaks to you. Yeah, absolutely. And if it doesn't anymore, mm-hmm. there, there are 86. 14 others. Exactly. There's so many. There's so many X-Men books. You never, you will never be alone if you want an yeah. X-Men book. And, and to Marvel's credit, you know, we just spent a half hour mm. cleaning their clocks for them, but <laughs> Because they do have a line with a lot of variants to, mm-hmm. to tone and sorts of lead characters and sorts of stories where the street level daredevil to cosmic mm-hmm. Captain Marvel Guardians action, you can find a home somewhere in there where your taste will align. Yeah. And then branch out little bits at a time. But as soon as something doesn't beat your criteria anymore, yeah, got to ditch it. As soon as you feel like it's work to read it, it's yeah. got to go. It's got to go. Um, Stephanie, what else have you been... Uh, what, what 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 books have you been enjoying? What's kind of what 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 is stuff that stays on your pull list? Well, I wanted to just address something quickly. Oh yeah, you had brought it up, and I didn't have a chance to jump in. But um, Bob, you had mentioned you know certain writers that stay on books too long, mm-hmm. and uh, and this ties into a question that uh, Brad Pinder had asked us on Twitter, where he had uh, wondered why Invincible doesn't get much press from us or other people, and I know you guys addressed it on coffee and comics, but I wanted to bring up like, just from my perspective that that was one of my favorite books for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now they're on issue, something like one, one, one. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they did like a big promotion for it where it's like number one, like all this shenanigans. Um, but anyways, my point being is I love that book. I read it to issue 70, but sometimes there are writers that can't stay on books for that. And I know it, it was Kirkman's baby, but both Invincible and The Walking Dead, for me, just suffered from repeat-itis. Like, mm-hmm. it was the same formula over and over again. It's like, take someone he loves away, next arc, they're back! <laughs> then someone else is dead. Uh-oh, 
then this person's returned. Uh-oh, how's he going to beat him? <laughs> and, like, it was just the same formula. And I really, I thought it was great. I loved the characters so much. But in both Walking Dead and Invincible, they stopped having a plot. Both of them, you know. They turned into these books that were just about, like, how much of a beating can our characters take? How bleak can we make their future? You know, there's no end in sight. There's no possible way that things can get better. Um, keep reading for that feeling of happiness and delight. It was I couldn't do it. They depressed me to read. Like, I physically felt drained after reading them because I was just, you know, wow, that was a shitty thing to do to a character after <laughs> each issue. Huh, that's cute that they did that. Too bad they killed the character like five minutes later. Huh. Wow. It was shock value. It's like the equivalent of, you know, hostile and everything is movie torture porn. And that's what Kirkman's books become inevitably is just comic book torture porn. Wow. (laughs) And I got sick of that. Like, I just got sick of I, I really wanted to enjoy those books and keep reading them. But when you leave a book and... I mean, it's great that it's leaving something emotional with you, that you're feeling something. But when you're feeling, like, just ultimately depressed about the whole thing, like, that's not necessarily a good emotion to always leave a book from. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyways, but things that I do enjoy. um, I mean, obviously, I'm still really enjoying Aquaman. Um, Jeff Parker's run on it is, like, fantastic. And getting him to talk about it, like, at SpringCon... I didn't even want to talk about anything else. I'm like, and Mira, and this, and this, and this. Um, I think it's great. And I know, Bobby, you and I were kind of worried about what would happen to it after Jeff Johns left. Yeah. And I think it's been great. And it's a book that I don't want to wait until it's in trade. I want to read it month to month because it compels me. Um, Let's see. What else do I got? Obviously, like Batman, although I'm admittedly behind on it. And American Vampire. Um, Revival. I mean, and a lot of the image books. Um, Saga, especially, and a few other things. But things like Black Science and, um, you know, actually, even Revival and things like Rachel Rising. I'm, I'm going to keep reading them because I love them. But I'm at the point where I think I'm going to start waiting till trade. Um, for a few of them. Rachel Rising, um, the Lilith story came to a conclusion in issue 24. And um, that was kind of, you know, the whole series was supposed to be wrapped up by then. Um, and they carried it on because there's a TV series being optioned and all that, which is fine. Um, but I think it reads better overall, like as trades in mm-hmm. trades, like again, so many indie books and, I'm starting to lean towards trying to do more of that. And the ones that do strike me as books, like again, black science, there's just these big, big arcs and big stories and lots of stuff that gets thrown in there. And it's hard to retain all of that information without rereading it when a new issue comes out. So, um, especially for those and like Hickman stuff is trade only for me. Yeah, <laughs> I will not read anything Hickman issue to issue. Trades um, plural. Yeah, yeah, I know. But th- there's writers that I'll still follow and creators monthly. But 
there's other ones, you know, again, like Hickman, that I know I don't have any desire to ever read on a monthly basis. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense. I mean, for me, it's... You mentioned American Vampire. I would have, like, a Snyder catch-up. I read... I was, like, three issues behind on The Wake, and then I caught up with uh-huh. American Vampire as well, the last... The, f- the three issues of uh, Second Cycle, which I'd only read the first of. And, I mean, holy shit, is Second Cycle good. It's, oh, my it, God, yes. Uh, I, I... So, it's... First of all, it's terrifying. Um, second of all, it's just... I haven't even read... The, all of the first cycle i've only read the f- one volume of the first cycle and i already like i i already have huge investment in in the characters like pearl you know I, she's in the first volume of of american vampire so i know who she is but you know reading the this these three issues i, I like she's a character who i just absolutely love now in, in those three issues um the ideas they're bringing out the art obviously is unbelievable you know it's just been a great, great thing to, to read. And it's one of those things where he does a very good job, I think, of at the end of each issue, propelling you into the next issue, wanting you to read the next one to make you want to read it. So even though, look, I think that, like we're all of us are talking about, better probably read in a full mm-hmm. volume because it's such a good story because you want to wait for it. It's one of those stories where I can't wait, you know, mm-hmm. six months to read it because I want to see, you know, w- what's coming next. And- Same thing with, sorry, Stephanie, go ahead. No, just speaking on, like, Snyder's books, like American Vampire and The Wake. Like, The Wake, you know, is a limited series. It's only 10 issues. And there's never filler, you know. You have to read that month to month because it's, like, crack. <laughs> it's you, you need to know what's happening. And that definitely is that episodical, like, you need to know what happens. Otherwise, the internet might spoil it for you. Like, it's like mm-hmm. Game of Thrones level. Mm-hmm. I need to have this when I need to have this. Right. At least for me, because... You know, every week something crazier happens, and I'm just, how are they going to tie this up in two issues? Freaking <laughs> out! <laughs> so good. Yeah, it is. It's it's really really great. And for me, it's something like Saga. I read the first two volumes in trade, but because of what we do and because of just unavoidable things, hearing people talk about it. By the time I read that second trade, even though I didn't know exact details of events, I knew events that were going to happen. Like I just had an idea of what was going to happen. So a lot of the big revelations of were lost on me because I just, I kind of knew they were coming. So I read that month to month because I know if I don't, I'm going to end up being spoiled on stuff that happens in that book. I mean, it's supremely excellent anyway, but I just loved reading it in, 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 in collected volumes. But I, I, it's, it's one of the things I can't do it. Like you said, it's like the game of Thrones thing. 70 mm-hmm. where I, I feel like if 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 i don't if i don't read it i'm gonna be spoiled that blah 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 character has died or blah blah, blah character something major happened to them or whatever so I, I keep on going with it see i'm doubly lucky don't go on the internet much <laughs> and i don't read books that anybody else is reading right that's or true. they get canceled <laughs> so it true. doesn't matter <laughs> that's absolutely completely covered absolutely true um from the on the dc side of things for me obviously we talked about batman it's a it's a, it's a must um, Green Arrow as well for me. Has been, I've been really enjoying The Outsiders War. They just they just wrapped that up. That's something I read it month to month and it was enjoyable. I want to go back and read it just, you know, part one through the end just so I can get the full sense of the story mm-hmm. again because that story had a lot of details in it and sometimes it was tough going month to month, uh, you know, reading it. Um, uh, I've been really liking Earth 2 a lot. I think Tom Taylor's done a really great job you know, with it and, and, and that story is, is become supremely interesting where I feel like before it was not interesting and that's why i stopped reading that book um you know i, I read i'm bringing batman eternal and i've been finding it enjoyable it's bizarre so that's nice 
that's yeah. weird. Um, the Flash has been, you know, uh, has been very good with the, the new team. So there's been good stuff there. Um, yeah, and I gotta say, Afterlife with Archie has been fantastic, and that I'm looking forward to reading in, in, in a collected volume a lot, actually. Um, Is that out this week? I think it's out this yeah. week. Yeah, the collected volume. That was rough because there was gaps in between when that came out, and so I did lose kind of the the thread of it at, at times, but. It was just so gorgeous and so well written that I, I I had to read it every month. And now we got more images of that Sabrina book. Did you see that, no. Stephanie? Yeah, they released a couple uh, more images today. <laughs> I'm gonna have to hunt that down. Yeah, it looks pretty. It, it, it looks pretty pretty great. Um, what about you, Bob? Some other books? Uh, honestly, the DC side is nearly nothing mm-hmm. for me. And the one book I was buying, I continue to buy on a monthly basis, is so often interrupted in Batgirl that it turns into. I'd almost rather read the trade, but then uh, did you see Mara's review yeah. of the last trade where it, it doesn't have the last issue of the arc? <laughs> of in the it. arc, in it. yeah, we talked about it on Comics and Coffee. Oh, okay, yeah, how it, it ends because it ends without the end of the arc in the trade, which is a bizarre thing to do. Wait, which book is this? Batgirl Wanted, the oh. trade paperback. They include the Ventriloquist Villains Month issue, but not the issue that ties up the arc. Yeah, that's so weird. Right now, juxtapose that when Marvel did the. Captain Marvel, it, the trade that mm. included her, uh, I'm still don't want to spoil it, where she was not feeling well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, recovery. Yeah. They included Avengers, they, it was called Avengers uh, Enemy Within. So what you had was that storyline, including the Avengers Assemble issue, and they left out the two dopey Infinity tie-ins mm-hmm. that were actually numbered Captain Marvel so that you could read the story. Right, yeah. Which is, you want to read the story. You can give that story to someone if they don't have those two chapters. Oh, well. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of panels of Carol doing something and saying her head hurts. That's okay. I can right. deal without <laughs> that. Give me the complete story. Couldn't they have put the issue in and charge an extra three bucks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, would it have been so hard to do? That's that's it's a weird thing pretty to do. Sad. It's a weird thing to do. Um, I was getting World's Finest, but I'm off that. And now mm-hmm. the characters I love are not going to be in that book anyway. So maybe I should have kept buying it till the end. But that art was <laughs> awful. Movement was, of court, course, canceled. Harley Quinn, I'm enjoying, but the art is starting to get to me. Mm. It is really pretty art. It is really realistic art. That's very redundant, sorry. (laughs) The art is very realistic, and then it's as if you had... Wasn't there a movie some years ago where there was not a Roger Rabbit thing, but sort of live-action tunes running around hitting people with hammers or something? Late 80s? Well, like Cool World? No, it was something like that, uh, but they were, they were sort of fleshed out grotesqueries. Oh, uh, okay. This sort of rubber puppet running around hitting each <laughs> other and so on and so forth. Space Jam. The... No, <laughs> no, that was I'm anime. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Actually, there's a Peter Jackson movie. Um, Meet the Feebles? Yes, yes, that, that's the one. <laughs> okay. That's the one. I get sort of that vibe from Harley in mm. that all these ridiculous things are happening. People are dying and getting body parts chopped off. And it's being shown in a way that I shouldn't be laughing at. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. If Amanda Connor were doing it, if Ty Templeton were doing it, or Mike Allred, it would be hysterical. Mm-hmm. It would be over the top and goofy and interesting. And it's it's still a funny story. It's just, yeah, she's now with her very old, very old fellow she found in a nursing home who's, uh, was he, Simon very long Jewish last name, Borgestein or something. <laughs> and he, he's actually cyborg. He's an old man in a wheelchair with cy- cybernetic attachments running around killing people who wronged him. Okay. It's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Except when you're showing me someone's head off with blood flowing out of it and it looks like a real head, it's not funny right. anymore. So it's sort of, yeah. 
Now, there's an indie book I have to read every month, even though I should wait for the trade. It's Red Sonia. Hmm. I want a fix of that every single month. It is hysterical and bizarre and crazy and yeah, just just absolutely nuts. And <laughs> I know nothing about Red Sonia, but Gail Simone's doing such a great job that I want it every month and I shouldn't, but I have to. <laughs> so I, I, I'm victim, hoist by my own petard. <laughs> I mean, we mentioned last week the Forever Evil wrap up. I've been loving. I loved that, and I loved. I love the justice league book i think that it's really taken a good turn so i'm totally on you know for that as well it's funny i have a few books too kind of goes against what we've been talking about i have a couple books that i i collect that i i haven't read them and i can't even tell you how long but i still collect uh uncanny avengers because it's rick remender and i want to read it all in kind of a big Mm -hmm. lump and i should just wait for trades but i don't know why i don't i just every time it comes out and it's in the pile i just grab it and put it on my my pile i don't know why um I, I I don't feel bad about it. It's just I I know I just want to sit down and read them, and I just haven't. And I uh, I'm like four or five issues behind on Lazarus, but I keep buying it just because I love, you know, I love Rucka so much. So I just keep adding it to my collection. Yeah. And so it gets bought by so few people that I feel bad. There you I, go. I don't. You're, buy you're it. supporting it. That's me and, and the movement. <laughs> yeah. I just buy that every month. Uh, but you actually read it every month. I am That's reading true. Lazarus. Um, Stephanie, what are some other books that you've been either really loving or you're thinking about dropping? It's so hard right now, like, you know, stepping away from the books. I mean, before I could have listed things until the cows come home, came mm-hmm. home. But it, it's harder once you've kind of stepped away from it to kind of objectively be, what am I reading mm-hmm. and loving? Um, I, I don't know. Um, Deadly Class. Did you already say Deadly Class? No, I did not. Um, I mean, that's great. Rick Remender is doing a fantastic job with that book. And that's another one that I want to read monthly. I don't think I've really forgotten anything that's happened, she says, forgetting <laughs> things that have happened. Um, but it it it's worth it to me to keep reading. It's exciting and it's interesting and it's a story that, I mean, in ways has been told, but not like this. Um, and I love it. I think it's great. Um, let's see. What else do I read? I don't know. You know, Animal Man is done, and I've kind of fallen off Swamp Thing. I loved Swamp Thing, but after uh, Scott Snyder left it, it was still good, and I read a couple issues, but I didn't feel the same, you know, drive to come back to it month to month. It felt it's it, it fell into a book that I could read as a trade and be okay with it. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that Charles. It happened with me too. I I absolutely was loving the Charles Soule stuff on something. I think he's doing a fantastic job, but I think a lot of times a writer is a big draw to keeping you must reading a book month to month. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Especially for me, you, you mentioned Aquaman, Stephanie. I liked the, uh, the Jeff Parker stuff a lot. I thought it was very, very good. But when it came down to a week where I didn't have where I had like a very set budget, I needed to buy comics on it got sent to the burner pile because I was like, it's good, but it's not Jeff Johns anymore. Mm-hmm. And there was just something about it for me that I, I, I was like, I can wait now to read it yeah. because it's not that person anymore who I just, I'm like obsessed with their writing. Um, and I think that's similar to having me with Swamp Thing as, as well. Because yeah. I think it's it was actually great, but I just, it, because it was Charles Soule and not Scott Snyder, I didn't feel like, I, I wouldn't have, I didn't feel bad anymore if I wasn't buying it. For some reason, when I really love a writer, if I don't buy the book, I sometimes I feel bad <laughs> yeah. for whatever uh, reason. Well, one book that I am wanting to pick up after hearing like a bunch of things on like forums and other places is uh thor god of thunder 
Yeah, I've been hearing oh, great things about that. Yeah. You know, I read the first few issues of that and it really felt, you know, take it or leave it to me. And I left it. And everyone's saying that it's worth picking up again. So that's one that I'm actually considering giving another, you know, trial run to. Mm. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, um, let's see. That obviously, you know, led to <laughs> nothing. Um, Moon Knight has been great and interesting. I'm starting, I, I, it's at a point where I could wait till trade, I think. Mm-hmm. But I like it. But I don't know. I'm just rambling. But How are you feeling about Black Widow? I still really love that. Um, the tr- the the arc is now wrapped up, though, right? Mm-hmm. Um, First I one don't yet. know if I feel particularly compelled to come back to it. I don't recall what happened in the end of at the end of this arc because I don't feel like it was a cliffhanger or anything like that that kind of left you wanting to pick up the next one. Uh, you're absolutely right. I'm in the same boat. It's in my little dropping, keeping it. I, mm. I'll buy this next one just to see where we're headed. We're yeah. going to San Francisco. It feels, it, it kind of actually almost felt a bit like what we talked about. Like it was a self-contained story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know if that next issue is going to pick up where we left off or it's going to be a new thing entirely. And but I think there's one carryover element if I remember correctly, I'm sort of vague about it too. And I only read it, you know, three weeks ago. <laughs> so we're, I'll have to reread those to read this. And does it really count? And should I just wait? I'm yeah. leaning toward waiting. And it's a shame because I did really enjoy how it, it did build slowly. Uh, Nathan Edmondson's story really started to pick up steam as we got to the big bad, so to speak. And it didn't pay off huge. No. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. That'll be another, like, the issue seven will be a bit like um, a number one for me, kind of deciding whether I'll keep on with it or move to the trade. Um, I do, however, really, 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 really love Rat Queen still. Um, mm, yes, absolutely. I That one is something I read month to month. You know, the fandom's so big, and everyone that I think, a, a lot of the comic people I follow talk about it. So it, it's a double reason to read it in the sense that I love it and I want to check out what's happening but you know you know not to go online on Sunday night because people are live tweeting Game of Thrones and you don't (laughs) want it to get spoiled for you and same with Rat Queens you know the fandom has become so huge so quickly that if I don't read it you know by Wednesday or Thursday when it comes out it's going to be spoiled for me online Mm -hmm. so there's there's double reasons to, to be reading Rat Queens for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that story is great because obviously there's kind of a bigger story going on, but it's so much, it's just, it's so much fun to read that it, it it's it's not like, I mean, there's details you have to keep in your head, but it's not as much about the details of the story as much about the people in the story. Mm-hmm. So I think totally. that's that draws me mo- yeah. more to it, you know, month to month. Uh, definitely the same thing with me with like with like sex criminals you know that is definitely a book that i'm going to keep reading month to month when it comes out because it's like watching a sitcom you know every month and i i love getting having that fun and getting those laughs month mm-hmm. to month and i think it's still be great in, in collective volume but that is especially one where you get to go like oh my god can you believe what happened uh, and that that's a that's a good feeling i got have. i got burned trade waiting on that one. <laughs> you did you missed all the, the uh, letters yeah i I assumed that would all be in a trade collection, mm. so I could just wait and wait and wait and glance at issues here and there. And 
Nope. Nope. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a lovely cheap price, but if half the book is missing or half the fun of the book is missing, and now I can't go back and buy the issues because <laughs> they're too darned expensive. Mm-hmm. It's like, eh. So uh, now, conversely, I, I went against my own better judgment, Lumberjanes, mm-hmm. which I read the first one and absolutely adored. I can wait. And it was sat in front of me at the store two weeks ago. No, I have to buy this. <laughs> it was just too funny and too interesting and three-eyed sea monsters. And, well, I have to buy this. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing that you're saying, right? That, that, that I think Stephanie mentioned as well, the, the being compelled uh, and from you know somewhere inside of you, not like what I was saying, like you feel bad or you feel like you have to, but this feeling of you see a book and you're like, I need to read that book yes. right now. Uh, the, those are really the books that you know you should be buying, and I, and I think that's advice. We take our own advice on that as well, because I think the feeling of Stephanie and I being burnt out was because we were reading a lot of stuff we didn't feel like we really wanted to read. You know, there there were definitely books I was reading because I felt like I had to read them, and once you start getting to the, that area you start to go into the place where you're not doing it for love of the medium anymore. You're doing it almost for a job and that can mm-hmm. suck the joy out of something really, really quickly. Yeah. You know, if that, if that's, if that's the case. Um, and, and this is not the first time it happened to me, um, like a year or so ago. Um, like it's actually almost exactly a year ago, I think maybe a little bit more, but that's when I, like, I read day tripper and stuff like that. I kind of stopped reading weekly books for a, a couple of weeks and just read trades and stuff like that. And it re-energized me. Uh, as well at, at that point but yeah i mean obviously there's more stuff on my pull list my, the pull list is, is huge i mean one, one of those books actually like the spider-man books I, I i can never see myself reading those in a trade you know what i mean mm-hmm. like I, I i think those are written to be read absolutely week every two weeks or every month or whatever whenever they come out they're just written that way they're written and look at slot is a great writer and he's a funny writer um and he has some really good emotional moments but when I look at kind of the the tapestry of all of the amazing slash superior Spider-Man I've read over the last two, three years, I I don't see, I can't point out to you like, this is a six issue story. This is a six issue story. This is a six issue story. I I don't, those, I don't see those. It's much more of a just, it's almost like a soap opera, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's all of it. All of it is a story. And if you tried to read, I think it in trade, you probably enjoy it, but I don't, I think it's meant to be read spread out like that absolutely yeah and i feel the same way kind of about like the the dare the way daredevil stuff you know i feel like that stuff is meant to be read he writes it so it's supposed it's it's, as, it's supposed to be a comic book mm-hmm. you know it has stories but his his kind of daredevil story went over all 35 issues or whatever it was it was not a six a defined six issue arc for for anything so that's how i feel about that stuff but but stuff still happened and ended oh yeah within. absolutely and that's absolutely. See, that's the stan way of doing mm-hmm. this what mm-hmm. they did it then it mm-hmm. was here's this and watch for this next issue right and that's gonna happen and then this and this and you wanted to read it weren't forced or felt like you were being forced to read it right yeah. to play catch up absolutely plus you know chris samney so he can do anything yeah <laughs> every book chris samney I'd, I'd be happy uh any other books bob you wanted to mention uh, looking down the list, what am I? Am I getting rid of anything? <laughs> I, I mean, I've added things that Silver Surfer we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed. It. I, I'd, I'd like to continue reading that month to month, but it does seem as if there are gaps already mm-hmm. in some of these newer books. Or is it just the we're so used to the double shipping? I think it was used to double shipping. So it turns just... a monthly book has turned into. <laughs> Because we haven't seen an Empire of the Dead for a while, which I was really enjoying. Yeah, I think that was. I think they had said they were taking a little bit of a break like, because it's like the second 
part of it or whatever. It's just yeah. an act of it. So I feel like there was supposed to be a little bit of a break, maybe a month off between them or something like that. Mm. Looking forward to Sensation Comics. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Wonder Woman stuff. And, so and that, that'll be weekly. <laughs> well, at least, digi- at least digitally. Yeah, online. So th- no, that's a whole other thing. What about those sort of books that are digital first and Yeah, I mean, later? there's some really cool stuff going on over there. And then there's the weekly books that are coming out that are two ninety nine from DC. Yeah, yeah. I, I already dropped Futures End because I was like, it's too much money. It just, really? it just. I enjoyed the first two issues. I was leaving to the third one. It, it didn't look great to me, and I'm already spending three bucks a week on a Batman book weekly. So, and you have an Earth Two weekly coming. Yeah, which I don't even. I even check. I don't even know <laughs> what that's gonna be. But it, th- th- it's just too much. It's just too much. Earth Two World's End. I think that's what it's called. I mean, I, like I said, I've been really liking the Earth Two yeah. book, so I would check it out a couple a couple issues of it. But it just piles up too quickly. Yeah, no, and you're going to end up, with, I think, with World's Finest. Oh, really? What's okay. going to Batman and Superman of Earth Two? Oh, really? Okay, I didn't know that. I didn't. I didn't read that story. Mm-hmm. I did not read that story. See, you've got that to deal yeah. with now. <laughs> Even more extra books. <laughs> I, 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 I'd love to be able to buy a lot of extra things, mm. but. I, I do, as you say, I keep it pared down to what... I, somebody asked a question once, how many books can you read a week without feeling... I'm like seven, eight books a week. Mm-hmm. It, it takes an afternoon. Sometimes I reread them the next day or whatever, but I, I can't... Unless it's a marathon for research, sitting down to read 15, 20 comics at a clip. Yeah. There's got to be a lot of drinking going on, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> You're not going to remember that first book anyway, whether you're sober or... Well, that's or, why I have to reread it the next yeah. day, you see. <laughs> Two glasses of wine and, and no food and yeah. just comics. Not good enough. Part of it was, too, this kind of getting excited about, again, was reading through the uh, Black Canary is a Tana oh. blood spell book because it was just a story. It was just a story. I didn't have to worry about it connecting to anything. I have to worry about what it meant. I just, I read through it. It was a story. It was done. It was very fun and enjoyable. And I really liked that a lot about it. Um... I loved all the uh, Canary Oliver stuff in it yeah. as well. I thought that was really cool. Did you ever read their miniseries, no. I guess you'd call it? It, no. was, it came right after Birds of Prey. Okay, no, I've never read it, no. It was when they were married and all yeah. that sort of stuff. A lot of uh, Amanda Connor in there. It was really very interesting. I'm sure there's a trade. I'm sure there is too, absolutely. Um, oh, Stephanie, are you going to be keeping Electra on your poll? I think so. I'm at least going to, I mean, the first two issues have been great in my opinion so i mean as long as it sticks with that kind of momentum that it's built up for those issues in the third issue i will stick with it if it kind of dies down a bit in the third issue i'll wait till trade but otherwise i i really dig it yeah and the thing the good thing about marvel and image especially is that their trades come out so quickly after after the the arc is over if not the day that the arc is over Mm -hmm. then the month after or the week after or whatever it is so i mean that's really awesome you know uh i find it harder to decide to trade weight on dc just because the the trade stick their production cycle is different i i don't um, and first it's a hardcover for 28 dollars or whatever yeah so that's tough to wait for those so you know i'm even if I was like, oh, I just I would like to pick up Batman monthly, uh, Batman in a trade, I wouldn't even do it because it would just it would take too long to to get to yep. him. Um, but yeah, I, I have no other books that I want to talk about, Bob. I don't know if you have any other ones you wanted to mention. Oh, sadly, so many of mine are things like Doc Savage that I've enjoyed. The, mm. I think that's coming to an end. Thunder Agents just did. We have oddball things. You know, Bandette comes out when it comes out. And only digitally, same with Empowered, where it's every three months, four months, whenever he finally finishes hatching together his pencils and puts a book <laughs> out. 
And that, that's really the problem with Hawkeye, too. Mm. I, there should be so much more of that. that. That needs to be every month. Yeah. And it's not. So then I want annual size books. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something. I could do a Hawkeye quarterly, but give us lots of it. Yeah. Do something. There's something wrong about wanting that that way? Sure. But I, I'm just <laughs> greedy. Just absolutely greedy. There's just not... I, I, I'm at about 30-odd books, 33. It goes up and down. Things get canceled. I curse them. They go away. Or I drop <laughs> them like Brian Wood's X-Men when I'm just, mm. I couldn't stand it anymore. Fantastic Four, I will not be able to stop buying. <laughs> as much as I'm not enjoying it, who knows what will happen next. Mm-hmm. Sales are not good. Book's not good. Uh, mm. Creative differences. They'll change hands maybe or we'll move forward and just for the history of it i can't drop that one though i did drop captain america like a hot potato you did i was very proud of myself (laughs) after i'm buying 50 years worth i I, one has to go for me to start buying a a regular series not a mini or some other little oddball piece certainly things like rocket girl found a way into my heart and Mm. i'm gonna keep buying that sort of stuff Anything that speaks to those issues that I really want to see in a comic book, heroic or fun, to balance off some of the Sturm and Drong over here of you know, worlds colliding with each other and all the rest. Mm-hmm. It's tough to select, though, sometimes. You know, what's going to be that thing? How do you, is it one issue, two issues? Where do we all sort of feel like the jumping on point is? How many issues do you need to see? Before you kind of, you, yeah. before you stop? You know, I don't know. It, it's, it's like not a science, right? It's... It's very much a feeling, I, I think. It's very much, um, uh, you know, what I, what, I'm, what I feel when I see the book. Mm-hmm. It's kind of how, you know, I, I can decide, I can like something, and then the, the next month when it comes out, I just have that feeling that, nope, I'm done. And, that, and that's generally how it, I, I work it. I mean, there are definitely times where, like, no, this is, like, the Fantastic Four, after the first issue yeah i was like no yeah. i think i might have read the second one i'm not sure i don't remember but i was like no this is not this is not gonna happen uh and those are easy because those i just feel it i'm just like mm-hmm. yeah this nope, yep. nope, 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 nope. that's like two songs on an album no that's enough yeah exactly i mean captain america again like i didn't have the same because i had been reading it that mm-hmm. like you had for all those years I, I and i love recommender but i was just like yeah no I'm just not connecting with it, so it's it's not on my list. First few issues that were half set in the 30s, mm. that part was really, really good. So once that ended and we did all future stuff, it mm. was, oh, this is mm. not good. Now, some, now for me, uh, I know, Steph, you dropped off X Factor, right? The new yep. one? Yep. I couldn't do it. Right. Now, I wanted to drop it a couple of times, and it's, I trusted Peter David that he'd piece this together in some way. And that weight has paid off. Mm. I mean, the book has turned into what I wanted it to be. It just took six issues to get there. Right. And uh, again, is this writing an arc for the trade that it got pulled like taffy into a a new size box? Might have been, but I I had faith. Right. Yeah. I mean, the same thing happened with Iron Man. Kieran Gillen was writing that, and I just I couldn't get into it. You know, I I, and a a writer that I love that I just couldn't Mm -hmm. tag it on. And then we see something we mentioned about, um, you know, shorter runs and, and, and miniseries, but like the, uh, the Bitter March, the Winter Soldier Bitter March mini has been fantastic. Yes. You know, and I'm so, I'm so jazzed that it's, six issues is going to be done. And just, uh, it's going to be this cool, like, little story that they did that just is on its own, 
but it's been so kick-ass and so much fun and so cool and like big twists and turns and just that James Bondy feeling mm-hmm. of it all. I, I really liked getting to know you know the 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 the, the agents of Shield Shen I think his name yep. is loved getting to know that character. It's just been great. Yeah, yeah. and it was fun month to month. Oh yeah, I did great uh, month yeah. to month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it has that you know Nick you know they will return in this yes, next issue yeah. doing something crazy. <laughs> So I, I've been I've been excited about yeah. it. Yeah. Left out in the snow and he's out there. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's been good. It's been good stuff. Mm. Um all right, so I think that's that's good. Yeah. We good with uh, Stephanie, was there any more books you want to talk about? No, I think I covered most of it and yeah, again, like the time away from it's kind of made me more scatterbrained as to what's even on my pull list, but yeah. I think I've covered what I wanted to cover. Well, that's mm. fine. Sorry. it's a very stephanie moment um all right so <laughs> let's we talked about all these books that we were reading that we're liking that we might drop let's talk about books that are on the shelves um right now from archie comics as bob mentioned afterlife with archie volume one escape from riverdale Ooh. is out uh today sonic universe number 64 is also out today from archie comics from avatar press we've got caliban number three <clears throat> and we've got uh, God is Dead, number seven. Um, from Boom Studios, we have Adventure Time, The Flip Side, number six. Big Trouble in Little China, number one. Garfield, number 26. Revelations, number six. Suicide Risk, number 14. And The Woods, number two. See, I want to read Garfield Revelations. <laughs> That's Gar- the book I want. He really does like Mondays. <laughs> He's been lying to us for years. Um, from Dark Horse Comics, we have Angel and Faith, uh, season 10, number three. We've got Ghost, number four. Uh, Lobster Johnson, Get the Lobster, number four. <laughs> We've got uh, Michael Avanoming's The Victories, number 12. Uh, Robert E. Howard's Savage Sword, number eight. From DC Comics, we've got Action Comics, number 32. We've got Aquaman and the Others, number three. Batman 66 meets the Green Hornet, number Ooh. one, uh, um, written by Kevin Smith. With art by Ty Templeton, I believe, is the and team on that. Two covers to look for. There's a lovely painted Alex Ross right. cover. There's a Michael Allred cover. Yes. That's yeah. very hard to get. Keep <laughs> your eyes open if your store has one, folks. <laughs> um, we've got Batman Eternal number nine, Batwing number 32. Um, I, oh, I guess they're, they're, released, they're releasing a Before Watchmen Silk Spectre. Oh, that, no, that's the trade. The it's back. the trade. I thought it was just Silk Spectre. It's still both of them. I, th- I thought they were yeah. going to release them separately. That's why. No, the hardcover came out about a year ago. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Boop. Um, Earth 2, number 24. We've got uh, Green Arrow, number 32. Um, we've got uh, Green Lantern, number 32. Uh, Hinterkind, number 8. Justice League 3000, number 7. Looney Tunes, number 219. Uh, New 52, Features End, number 5. We've got Swamp Thing, number 32. We've got Tiny Titans, Return to the Treehouse, number one of six. Trinity of Sin, Pandora. Sorry, Trinity of Sin, The Phantom Stranger, number 20. Vampire Diaries, number six. And The Wake, number nine of ten. Um, from Dynamite Entertainment, we've got Battlestar Galactica, number 12. Sorry, we've got Black Bat, number 11. Uh, we've got Cap- Captain Action Cat, The Time Stream <laughs> Catastrophe, number yes. two of four. <laughs> We've got uh, Chaos, number two, Doc Savage, number six. 
We've got uh, Jim Butcher's The Dresden Files, War Cry, number one. New Vampirella, number one. Um, let's see, from IDW, we've got G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, number 203. We've got Judge Dredd, Mega City 2, number five. Max Maximized, number eight. We've got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number 34. No Transformers this <gasps> week, I'm sorry. I was all ready to. Um, from Image Comics, we've got 68, Rule of War, number three. We've got Burn the Orphanage, Reign of Terror, number two. Clone, number 17. We've got Darkness, Close Your Eyes, one shot. We've got Dream Police, number two. Five Ghosts, number 12. Five Weapons, number nine. Great Pacific, number 15. Madame Frankenstein, number two of seven. Uh, we've got Nailbiter, number two. One Hit Wonder, number three. We've got Rise of the Magi, number one. Spawn, number 244. Super Annuated Man, number one. Um, we've got Witchblade, number 175. From Marvel Comics, we've got All New X Factor, number nine. Amazing X-Men, number eight. Amazing X-Men Annual, number one. Avengers World, number seven. Black Widow, number seven. Captain America, number 21. Cyclops, number two. Deadpool, number 27. We've got Iron Fist, The Living Weapon, number three. We've got uh, Iron Man, number 27. Loki, Agent of Asgard. That's another book that's on my poll list that I'm absolutely loving. Uh, Magneto, number five. We've got Miles Morales, The Ultimate Spider-Man, number two. Miracle Man, number seven. Moon Knight, number four. New Warriors, number five. We've got Original Sin, number three. Uh, Painkiller Jane, The 22 Brides, number one. Punisher, number six. Superior Foes of Spider-Man, number 12. Um... <clears throat> Sorry. From Oni, we've got Princess Ugg, number one. Um, from Valiant, we've got Quantum and Woody, number 11, and Rai, number two. And from Xenoscope, we've got Grim Fairy Tales, number 98. Grim Fairy Tales presents Godstorm Age of Darkness, one shot. And that is all the books that are on the mm. shelves this week. Quite a few. Actually, Xenoscope had a book I almost put on my covers of the week. Oh, really? Yeah, it's about sharks. So it's a big shark mouth. That's all it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> And the shark has more clothes on than most of their heroes. No, that's <laughs> terrible. I shouldn't say that. bum Yeah, sorry. All right. <laughs> if you guys want to get in touch with us, we are podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com, um, facebook.com slash talkingcomics, and at talkingcomics on Twitter. Also, go to the website, talkingcomicbooks.com, go to the forum, and sign up there and interact with our awesome community. And rest assured, guys, you guys might send us questions, you guys might send us comments, and we might not read them on the air, but we read them all. And we really appreciate everything you guys do and all the work you put in um, and all the awesome sentiments you guys send our way because it means it means a ton to us, definitely. Um, if you want to get in touch with me personally, it's at Bobby Shortle on Twitter. Stephanie? I'm at Hello Cookie. Bob? Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. And Bob, I'm going to ask you customarily, do you have anything that you want to say before the show is over? No. No, not this time? No. <laughs> Make sure you guys listen to um, all of our sister podcasts. We have, obviously, The Misfits, hosted by our very own Stephanie Cook. Um, uh, we also have Talking Movies, hosted by Brian Verderosa, and Talking Games, hosted by Steve Say. Um, all three of those can be found on our website and on iTunes. And also make sure you check out Talking Valiant with Adam Shaw. I know you guys, a lot of us, you guys wanted to talk about Valiant. First, we do not re- really read those books, but we have a whole show for you guys if you guys want to hear mm. about that so check that out i believe their second episode is up 
now. Uh, make sure to go to the site and check out all the articles and, and stuff. Uh, Mara's Manga Monday is awesome. All the reviews and columns that go up. Check out Comics and Coffee on Friday mornings at 9 a.m. live. We will be doing it again this week. So that'll be Whoa. three weeks in a row, which is very impressive for us. We're we're like a you know we're like a Frank Whiteley book. We only we don't come out we only come out when we feel like it. So, um, but we will be doing another show this and week. And if you happen to be in or around or near Grand Rapids, Michigan, I will be at a signing with my boss Bill uh, on Saturday all day. So at Kirby or Tardy's Collectors Corner. So. If anyone right. lives in that area, I will be wandering around there while Bill signs stuff. So come say hi. Mm. And that's Bill Willingham, the writer of Fables, in case we have new listeners who don't know who you work for. Oh, uh, yeah. That's and they're like, thing. why would we care? That, that guy. Well, I mean. <laughs> Bill, the plumber. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's true. Kirby Tardy's Collector's Corner. I think it's there just you go. Tardy's Collector's Corner. Whatever. <laughs> that's where it is. All right. What, has someone just come up to see you and, and just ignored Bill? Okay, that's great. Yeah, sometimes I'll leave the table too, like at a convention, and somebody will come up to Bill and he's like, "Hi, hi, can I sign something for you?" And he's like, "No, we're staff." <laughs> and he's been like, "Oh, uh, I don't know. She's around here somewhere." And they'll be like, "Cool, I'll wait." And he's just like, "Oh, okay," <laughs> but he doesn't care. Like he knows I do the podcast and stuff. But yeah, that's pretty fun. That's great. Yeah. That's pretty funny. All right. So that is going to do it for this week's Talking Comics podcast. For Bob. Good night. And Stephanie. Bye. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics. To be continued. <laughs>